When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with the winner of the most popular co-host on the 2022 Discipio Pointless Exercise Readers Listeners Poll, Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? In, in case there was uh, any evidence required um, as to demonstrate the end of civilization, I would say that would be it. I humbly accept and just want to know. Uh, I'm good, by the way, Andy, but just what what in the hell is wrong with all you people? I can't stand listening to myself. But, hey, happy to uh, sit back and, uh, and, and entertain. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I listen – Dave Brown, he's like a professional writer. He is a professional writer. He's good. You know, he's got contacts. He's uh, entertaining. He he remembers some good crap too. Yep. That's who I voted for. Uh, but yeah, I so I just I, I'm no offense to the, the listeners who um, have uh, awarded me such a distinction. But uh, you checked your meds. I have I have responded to the results of the poll by firing all the other co-hosts because clearly I need to find better ones. So sorry guys, but you're all sorry. out. I'm the Johnny Morris of Second Banana. That's not that's not I'm true. Good. Mike Pusteri is back next week, two weeks, with our oh, bear podcast starts again. Oh, the Bears, yeah, yeah, yeah. No Dave, I th- I believe we're going to do a baseball podcast next week, which are a couple weeks off. He went on vacation, and I outed the fact he was on vacation, so I got to check and make sure his house didn't get robbed while he didn't uh, say he where gone. though. Yeah, well, it matter where he was going. All right, it matters where he lives. <laughs> Doesn't live in Chicago, so maybe there were people. David Browns all over Chicago land got their houses broken into because of this podcast, and it wasn't even the right guy. Former New York Giant quarterback. Uh, next David week, Brown. I think we haven't we haven't officially scheduled it yet, but he wants to do it. Uh, Drew Lawrence from the Guardian, guy who used to write for Discipio back when he was a Missouri College University of Missouri Missouri University University of Missouri college student, where he went to school with Kelly Dwyer. Drew Kelly Lawrence, went to you. Columbia? I didn't know that. Yeah. Drew Lawrence and I are going to talk F one, and uh-huh. we're going to talk, and we're going to talk about the NFL. Um, he actually covers the F one for real, and um, I have become uh, one of those annoying um, 
bandwagon fans, and I've got a lot. It's it's a sports there are ripe to be made fun of, and I have a lot of theories that I want to run by Drew. I think it'll be fun. There are more Formula One fans than I would have guessed um, to confirm. So it's a really easy, cool sport to watch. Everybody drives a car, so you know exactly. I know what they're doing. I mean, it's just like me driving around Rockford. Right. And there's only there's ten teams. There's twenty drivers. So it's pretty quick to learn who everybody is, um, and it's just it, it's it's a it's like watching a video game because of there's fucking cameras everywhere. It's amazing all the places they have cameras, and it's all the real time like diagnostics and stuff. You can see how fast they're going and see all the stuff, and it takes you about two races to figure out who everybody is and how it all works, and then you just watch it. And it's the appeal to me is that it's on in the morning before all the real sports start. Just so, in Europe, yeah. So I get up, I'm, uh, up, I'm around, hey, I'll watch you. And the races are short. They, this is the, one of the secrets of the sport. Not only they're all under two hours, but there's also, they literally set a time limit. And they will, if they're starting to go over for any reason, because of you know, delays or uh, caution flags or whatever, they shorten the race. Now they do it wow. because these c- people put the minimum amount of fuel in the car as possible. They try to keep it as light as possible. And you do not refuel. It's not like an IndyCar thing where you're or NASCAR where you're sticking the mm-hmm. thing in the top of the car and whatever. Yeah, the amount of stops. the amount of fuel you start the race with is what you get for the whole race. And um, so that's another thing. It's like wow. it's like watching um, soccer where it's you know it's two hours you're done. So, so will so will a car just run out of gas sometimes? It happens, and it, they it, they have it calibrated so much that there was a race where one of the guys was. Winning, and because there had been two cautions, the (laughs) announcers were worried he was going to run out of gas because they had they had driven he'd driven like three extra laps, other than they even though he'd driven at half speed, they're like, I wonder if he's got enough fuel left. I'm like, Jesus, how close are they cutting this shit? Well, that's how close they're cutting it. So that'll be fun. Uh, I believe there's a Netflix series I started watching it a while back. That's how I got into it. Like everybody else, it's called Drive to Survive. I think there's four seasons of it. And you get to meet all the people, and then like the the cocky asshole who runs the Red Bull team, Christian Horner. They showed him on his ranch, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at his kind of his cute redheaded wife, and I'm like, you know, that looks like ginger spice. Well, it is. That's oh, how about that? To. These guys are all insanely rich, so of sure. course, yeah. And then there's the stereotypical German Toto Wolf, who looks like he just looks like he just got uh, discharged from the Luftwaffe, and he runs the Mercedes team, and. Um, oh, and of course it's the Mercedes team, straight out of Central Cast. Crazy, crazy Gunther who runs Haas, and he's he always says the he always says the wrong, like horribly offensive shit to his drivers, and then Gunther Steiner, and he, you know, it's fine. Um, there's a guy uh, who runs uh, Alpine, Otto, not Otto, I can't pronounce his last name. It's got a Z thrown at it. He, it sounds like he's like the most like European guy ever, and then you talk to him. And you realize he grew up in America, and he went to Wayne State University. So there's all kinds wow, of weird Ohio. like connections. So anyway, we'll talk wow, more about F1, and we probably should on this. Bye. Remember this crap F1 edition. Come on soon. How about that? I won't be able to do it because I can only remember back like two years. So it's be hard to do that. Agreed. We we'll can wax nostalgic about Jackie Stewart. That's right. Your uh, AJ Foy, or I mean, I don't know. I, I I can only go back to IndyCar. I don't know if Formula Jackie Stewart would be the only international driver. Uh, from Jackie was an Jackie was an F one. 
Jam- yeah. Like, remember my well, dad. like Mario Lemieux, though. Like the, the, those guys that raced at Indy, a lot of those guys were were F one too. Right? Not Mar- like, I don't think Mario Lemieux. I'm, Mar- I'm sorry, Jesus. Mario, Mario Andretti. Andretti. He did. He won the F one championship one year. Got it. And didn't even race all the races. That's how good Mario Andretti. Is he Italian or an Italian American? I can't remember now. Uh, he's his son was Michael. He was also a racer. I don't. It's funny because I looked at his I looked at his Wikipedia page not long ago just to see all the shit he did because he was at one of the he was at the race in uh, Florida. Um. Oh, so they do race in. The I States. think he was born in Italy and came over as a kid. So largely Americanized, but yes, mostly okay. Americanized. He was still American. here yeah. Mario Andretti. Uh, yeah, well, I remember my dad talking about we'd be watching like an IndyCar race. He'd be, oh, you know, these Europeans when they do when they pit stops, they get out of the car, they have tea, have you know, they're not in a, they're not in a hurry. And I'm like, okay, that's like when they do Le, Le Mans, yes, yeah. not when they're just running like 150 no. miles. They're not getting out of the car, taking a you know, yeah. like the it's funny to have the pit stops in F1, the. <clears throat> Announcers would be like, "Oh, that was a slow one." And it's like two point seven seconds. It's, it's crazy. Like two point four seconds. It's like, uh, okay. But it's funny. You watch a few races, and you can tell. Like you're like, "Oh, that was a slow one," and then it's like two point nine seconds. So. And you can see like the body language, of, like the crew bitching at each other. Or... Oh, that's the the best part of the races are how much uh, of the, of the, right, from either the principal, that's a guy like Christian Horner, or whoever they're like. Everybody like the has a guy chart. they're talking to, exactly. mm-hmm. and uh, how much of that stuff you get to hear, and how much bitching that the drivers do, and they're yelling about stuff, and um, you know, and you hear this little sound, and you know then that there's going to be audio, and then you play the, if you play the F1 game on you know Xbox or PlayStation, and it's it's the same announcers, it's the same sounds, it's the exact same wow. views. Wow, they're it, really because the whole race is like a video. Media. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. easy to to fall into that shit. So cool. Anyway, so Drew's going to come out. We're going to talk about that. And I'm going to ask about moving from South Carolina to Georgia and how the movers tried to rip him and his wife off. He was tweeting about that. That'll be all right. All right. Look forward to it. Um, Maybe I'll finish the Netflix series and start watching Formula One. You should. They had, they just finished summer break. They're in Belgium. 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 Well, they're in a Belgian environment. All right, but that's not what this podcast is. This is Remember This Crap, and we are running out of Cub seasons to remember. And like I wrote in the column today, there are people that I've got messages from people very worried that we're running out of Cub seasons. I'm like, that doesn't mean we're running out of crap. It just means that your crazy idea where we had to do every season from 1980 to right. 2011 is coming to a close. Just so felt there, the urge. There will to, be other to things cater- to remember. All right. I just felt the urge to once and for all firmly categorize and in a sort of discrete form uh, each each season, 32 years. But that's only 32 years that, you know, we touch upon various seasons when we go on digressions. And there are, of course, many more seasons beyond even this scope. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, they're easy, easy shoot-offs. There's so much crap in so many decades here that I don't think anyone needs to concern themselves about us running out of material. Yeah, I mean, I think we should do, like, we could do player-centric ones. Like, we remember this crap. Uh, who wouldn't want to remember all the stuff about Jason Hayward? Wouldn't that be fun? Well, that's an interesting one. In all seriousness, we've teased the you know the uh, the breakdown of the really baffling void in center field that's been really largely without one blip from 50 years ago, a 75 year drought. So you know, 
could break it down by position. We could do some manager shows. You, know. you got to hurry up before Pete Crow Armstrong shows up and nails that down for the next 18 years. That'll be the guy. Although the Whatever reality is, is if he huge. comes up and he's good, and six years later he's gone, he'll be, you know, he'll be a <laughs> right. It's a low bar, folks. We're only talking Rick Monday is the last center fielder to merely have at least four, just four consecutive seasons with 125 or more starts. It's field. a bar so low that if Nick Madrigal tried to walk under it, he would have to duck. <laughs> that's might break how, his nose. That's how low it is. <sighs> So, but yeah, as far as this 32 year wheel, uh, we're down to the final four. So a little bit of a mixed bag. People thought we'd never do it. And here we are on the yeah, precipice. Almost of... there. Knock on wood. 84, 87, 2004, 2006. You want to talk some oh. Dusty? Well, wait, which Dusty? We've already identified there are two. Oh, that's right. Only, you want to talk end, end of Dusty? Two, or the beginning of the end of Dusty? 2006. Ooh. You got five fun facts. <laughs> fun. Five facts, Fun's at least, about the 2006 Cubs. Yeah, not much fun. Uh, let's just start with opening day because they always spring to mind, especially in this era in which Carlos Zambrano usually got his tits lit up, and he, he did yet again in Cincinnati. Uh, 2006 was the year that Juan Pierre came in, hit 9,000 ground balls to second base, and still had the nerve to become the first Cub since Ryan Sandberg to collect 200 hits, which was just – he was awful, and yet he did that and it still baffles me. Uh, 2006 was uh, there were uh, in each Cubs Sox series, there were two interesting things that happened. One uh, in Comiskey Park on a sacrifice fly on a play that started with Rich Hill still pitching. Uh, and I forget Carlos Lee or no, he was long gone, but uh sack fly in the Cubs Sox game at Comiskey on a Saturday afternoon resulted in AJ Pruszynski. Um, Knocking over Michael Barrett and then starting a brouhaha. I'm sure we'll go into that. And the other Cubs Sox him. game. That's what it was. He yeah, that's him. right. That's all it was. And the other <laughs> Cubs Sox game in which I attended. And if with you, if you want to go on my uh, Twitter profile and see me wearing a bag on my head, it happened when our good friend Ryan Dempster served up a two-out lead-changing go-ahead home run to Przinski at Wrigley Field in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, in a game in which the Cubs snatched um, victory or defeat from the jaws of victory. And let's see, fact number five, well, you mentioned Johnny B. Baker. Uh, it began or it ended the, uh, I wouldn't say long, torturous four-year run. It's amazing it was only four years. Uh, it was really torturous for the last two and two months, or maybe two and a half. But, yeah, Dusty Baker's final season. And, um you know, just another another low point, another low point on the heels of another high point. So swiftly, it seems to be our, the Cubs' fortunes. That's it. There was also a night. Everything, all that bad shit used to happen at Dodger Stadium too. Night in Dodger Stadium, where an errant throw led oh, Lee yeah. to stick his arm right in front of the you probably drunk. Why not? He usually was Raphael for call who. 
Yeah. his wrist and ruined Still not the guy. I, I, the guy that I'm most angry at for that play is the guy that I will be angry at for a lot of things. The worthless sack of shit, Scott Ayer. He's the one that made the lousy throw to begin yeah. with, I believe, or couldn't get it off the mound. If Maybe it wasn't, it should have been. <laughs> because Lee was coming off one of the most phenomenal individual seasons in Cubs history, including Sammy's, you know, 97, 96 to 03 run. Um, he was a legitimate MVP candidate in his second full season with the Cubs and made us all forget he stopped Choi Finally. for a long time. It took a while. Finally. And then, and it was in early May, right? It was, uh, it was, a you know, it shouldn't be too hard to find. It was a Dodger series in Chavez Ravine. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Did the Cubs get off to a, because the, the 05 Cubs, See, Dusty's legacy, I mean, his, his standards just kept lowering. He comes in, as you and as you chronicled when I first followed you in 03 at the convention, it was he came in high and it just got better yep. until it started to crash. Uh, and it just got to a point where, you know, I mean, everything he did early on, everything he did early on obviously just seemed to work. And then it just, until it didn't. It all worked and, out. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I, I get verklempt sometimes thinking about how quickly how quickly it turned. So, Derek Lee was a famously slow starter to the point where I used to joke they should give him a calendar that just went right to May, like went March, May, May. And so, in two thousand six, following up his the so. Um, Bob Nightingale is clearly watching Cardinal games pantsless these days and going, getting very excited about Paul Goldschmidt, maybe winning a triple crown. Yeah. Goldschmidt's having a good year. It's nothing compared to Derek Lee's 2005 season. Is that right? Yeah. At 2006, Derek, could he do it again on the 19th of April? He was batting 318 with a 448 on base and a 614 slugging percentage, a 1.062 and in the seventh inning of a game against the Dodgers, he was already he was one for three in the game, and the Cubs were winning. And Raphael ran into him, and we wouldn't see him again until uh, June the 25th. And then uh, that really didn't work out very well. He came back too soon, and then he was gone again from July 23rd until August 28th. Just a disaster. Ruined, he only played 50 games. It ruined his ruined his entire season. I can't even think offhand who was the large, who largely was the replacement for him. God, oh six. Todd 06 Walker. Was, Todd ah, Walker replaced him in that game. Moving over from second base. Yeah. Wow. John Mabry was on the team. Could have got a lot of John Mabry. Big bad John Mabry. No, not that. Not John Mayberry. Uh, but let's well, see who threw the year. Scotty Air was in the game. Well, he was the guy on the mountain. And I, I remember, yeah. Oh, Scott Aaron. Well, I remember what I was going to complain about was that Dusty started high, and then his it got so bad that after 2004 crash, which we'll go into great detail one of these next few weeks, uh, that in 2005 when they were just listless all season, we covered that season, and, and but they they were you know in contention, Matt Law and Jody Garrett, that he was trying to hang his hat at the end of his third season in 05. Uh, he would be because in 04 was the first time in our lifetime the Cubs had successive 500 seasons, right? Yes, I know that's true. And that 
Dusty was really gunning for that third consecutive 500 a season. I'm like, what do you care about that for? Like, the, the shit's falling apart, and now that's what you're going to hang your hat on. And so they didn't get it, and I was kind of happy about it, Frank, because I was we were all fed up with Dusty by the end of 05, and it comes back one more in 06. The season kind of feels like it was dead on arrival. Although I look at it, they were, you know, over 500 early, but they were, you know. Uh, you said you said that Dodgers game was actually in the third week, so obviously it had an impact. Cubs are still only what eight and four going into it, but they won, well, eight, eight and five. five. They won that night. They were nine and five. Yeah. they were on their on pace for I don't know math real well. One hundred and fifty four wins. <laughs> is, that, is that how the pace works? Another guy who filled in for Derek Lee is a current major league manager. Current major league manager. Yeah. I got nothing. It's easy to forget that he's a major league manager. He replaced Joe Madden with the Los Angeles oh. Angels of Anaheim. Who is that? Who is that? He traded Anaheim? himself to the oh, Twins during Phil the season. Nevin. Phil Nevin. Right. And now it's time. Curious. I'll tell the story once again. My wife and I no, had, that, had dinner with Len Casper, and I, we were talking, and my wife was asking, you know, crazy shit because she doesn't know anything about sports. And she's like, is there a player, in, has there ever been a cup player that you just hate? And Len looks at me and goes, you can't write this. And he said it was Phil Nevin. And you're revealing it now because you haven't written it. I've been so. revealing it for years now. Well, at this once, point, you know. Once Phil was no longer a player, I figured it was probably safe. To I'm sure Len can own up to anyway. Well, and Len, I don't know what Len does anymore, right? He's quit the business. Right, right. He's certainly not coming across to any American League teams. Uh, Len's built up enough currency insurance, maybe. where he could probably stand by. It's amazing to give him a manager's job. Does he even wear an undershirt yet? Wasn't that the other thing that Phil Nevin with the Cubs? He, he just kind of... Was that not it? Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. It, it probably just, was. He was such a just looking like such a slob. Yeah. Um. He um. He wears number 88. And uh, it's funny. As so a manager, I, I was. Is that I, the year he was the top pick in the draft? No, that was '93. I think. He um. I wore 88 when I played high school football. That was my number. Be a tight end or wide receiver? You in a skill position? I was, yes, I was in. We ran the wing T. I was. A, I was an extra tackle, basically, because we threw the ball about nine times a year. But when they did, they threw it at me. Um, and so my license plate used to have my name and 88 on them until I was way, far too old to still be driving around. But I just kept renewing the license plate. When I went to Michigan, then I actually got the same license plate. And now I don't have those license plates anymore because I found out that uh, white supremacists have... Uh, have adopted 88, really? 88 as a white supremacist thing. It's the H is the eighth letter of the alphabet. And they think 88 yeah. stands for Heil Hitler. So I no, longer, hate. no longer will wear 88. And Phil Nevin, Phil Nevin wears so, 88 for the Angels. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Interesting. Do these Aryan brotherhoods also drive around in Delta Olds? Is that like, yep. do they identifying right. the Delta Olds 88? I feel bad oh. for I feel if you see a bunch of guys wearing Desmond Clark uniforms this year at Bears games, it's probably up to no good. Yeah. Poor, poor Des. Yeah. It's not my fault. That's the number they gave me. I guess that is the first eighty-eight I think of. Was Marcus oh, no, Robinson eighty-eight? The cause. Glenn Kozlowski. Oh, that's you. the first eighty-eight you think of. Patrick Kane. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh union football players. Sorry. No scabs allowed. Right. Somehow, yeah, I filter my sports information through who's in the players union. That's why That's why you when I tell the Damien my my famous Damien Miller story, you won't even listen to it. 
Turn the microphone off. Right. Exactly. All right. Let's see. Who did Phil Nevin? How good a trade? When we say Phil Nevin traded himself. Like, I like to joke that Greg Maddox traded himself to the Dodgers for Cesar. It's true. Same season, right? Greggy started the uh, season in the Cubs. Scott Boris did that. Like, that was really a thing. Henry said, if you want to find a trade, you know, if find a place where Greg wants to go, I'll help facilitate it. And Boris wanted him to go to the Dodgers, so they made that trade. The Nevin trade, Nevin was actually actually got permission from the Cubs to call other teams. And he worked out the deal to Directly. the Twins. And that's just a metaphor. They got. Dun, dun, dun. Where is it? Dun, dun, dun. August 31st. Oh, it was a waiver deal. So you know they got quality okay. players back. They got Adam Harbin. Now the Cubs I traded kinda, Adam Harbin. Adam Isabel. The Cubs traded for Phil in May to try to fill the void. They got it from the Rangers. Who they traded him for a, a player on their big league roster. One for one. Oh God. An infielder for infielder. A guy a guy you you expect me to recognize this for a Ranger that came over to the Cubs in 06? No, he's Phil came from the Rangers. Cubs traded this guy to the Rangers for, for Phil him. Nevin. He was part of a huge trade just the offseason before. I got nothing. Jerry Hairston Jr. Oh. Well, two off seasons before. The offseason before the after 04. Right. For the, the Sammy Sosa. Samuel trade. Peralta Sosa. Trade worked out so well, they managed to flip it for Phil Nevin, and then they managed to turn that in. They turned Sammy Sosa into Adam Harbin. Good job. It's like, nice. It's like ever since that Nomar trade, which, again, we'll cover when we do both the 2004, they were the most, like Jim Henry made the most ins- uninspiring deadline deals. for. The, or of course, Hairston was not a deadline deal. That was off season. But I'm thinking of that, like Matt Lawton was the deadline deal. In yes. No, he wasn't. He got him earlier, but then they traded for Jody Garrett, who was like, what, oh. he played against Hairston in high school? It was the opposite. This was the, It was a masterpiece. He traded for Garrett for like a week. And then Lawton. That's and the Cubs went so bad so fast, he traded Lawton at the actual deadline. Lawton. And then Lawton Within went to the Yankees season. and flunked a steroid he test and couldn't PD. play for the Yankees. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's good stuff. Ah, uh, the Jim Henry. Yeah, Cubs. what I wouldn't give to have him back. Now. Yeah, well, I mean, this is Jim Henry, who would still get like five or six more cracks at the apple, right? Like, like his two thousand three yeah. four team with Dusty was turning the dust, no pun intended. Uh, but he would still be allowed to keep because it was at the end of the, this is really the last in my book, the last season of the so called mediocrity by design. This Tribune run, be, beginning with the year that they fired Jim Fry, all the way up and through here where it, it was so embarrassing. And this is when Dennis Fitzsimmons was forced out. McPhail was forced out at the end of the day. It was like, all right, we're, we, we've milked this as much as we can. It's embarrassing. We're trying to sell this team, which they would do to Sam Zell, but not, there was, they were still tribune owned in 07, 08 and 09, I believe, but they had a different ownership. So it was kind of a different, they had gone a different direction, but, but Henry survived that. He kind of crossed the chasm from that sort of 15 year management style of the tribune company it almost paid paid off in 03 when a 88 win team went all the way but um they finally sort of pulled the plug after the season after they fired McFay, McPhail, that's when they signed Soriano they you know because they were trying to pump up the value of the team but uh it is funny just to picture Henry after everything had just turned to dust uh from 2 years prior and it was it's really it's when you rank 
the 10 worst cub seasons of this period this season is one of them and it's just bizarre that it's in between yeah uh and just a couple of years on either side two playoff teams well and it really is it's a it's the it's a line of demarcation because it's the end that henry got to build two pretty distinct teams in relatively short order he had the dusty cubs and then yep. followed immediately by lou and um that team had obviously there's crossover, but most of that roster was different. I mean, by the time yes. Lou got him, Kerry Wood is a reliever, and Mark he was refashioned. Gone. And yeah. um, you know, Derek Lee was there. a lot of. There's a fair amount of O four. Well, Lee, see, like Lee, Lee was yeah O four, but Lee wasn't on the O three Cubs. Right. But you know, the O four was equally competitive on paper. So you know, I mean, the whole thing um, fell apart. Yeah, when, some, when they got rid of Randall Simon. I mean, we, we can all agree on that. Well. You know, it was a glue. Yeah, that they, just didn't, they just couldn't stand alongside him when he was facing those charges and the walk. Yep. He wanted the so, wanted the Cubs but, to kick in for his defense fund, and they said, "No, you got to go away." Then. Right, but but you're right; they were distinct era. You're right. There, I mean, there's a lot of the DNA was similar, but it was not a continuation. It was a reset because that first team, the nucleus, was the starting pitching, and it just crumbled. Uh, and then they had young talent, you know, like Lee and Ramirez were young. And so they would, they, it kind of flipped the script a little bit and, and, and they, you know, they were spending, uh, you know, on sorry, you know, Soriano was the big spend, but they would bring in Fukudome, but the pitching was completely different. Like you said, Kerry Wood was repurposed. Um, it, it was, it was pretty distinct. I mean, especially when things go to dust in 06, the fact that he was even around to build it up again. But I think because we all rightfully pinned a lot of the failure of 06 on Dusty. It just at the end of 04, from that point forward, he just didn't he was didn't take accountability. And he just it seems like he was cashing a check. I know that sounds harsh, but he was a different guy than he was the first year and two thirds. Now one of my all time favorite Cubs was also not they didn't just get Juan Pierre to round out their outfield that offseason. They went out and they got a oh. they got a great right fielder. All around that ter- stud. Great terrified arm. Ter- terrified worms what all a, over the world. Had that great arm and it was such a disciplined hitter at the plate. They got uh, Jock Jones. Yes. What I remember about that was I was going down to Florida to see my mom and dad for a week, and I bought the book, uh, what's it called? Fantasy Land, I think, maybe. And it's about it's about fantasy baseball. This guy who um, had basically was writing about – it was a sports writer who was writing about fantasy baseball and who would actually talk to players about it. And there's a whole chapter where he talks to Jock Jones. And he's basically talking about how Jock is a player who's um, limited real-life – baseball skills didn't translate very well at all to fantasy because it, the game was shifting to guys who um, got on base more and could steal base. You know, they, he didn't fill very many categories, but to a casual baseball fan, they'd look at the end of the year and he'd have like 20 homers and 80 RBIs. They'd be like, well, that jock's pretty good, but in reality he wasn't. And of course I'm reading this like, Oh, of course that's the guy the Cubs got. Yeah. And when I got him, the thing that stuck out immediately was, um, anytime there was a, he had to hurry a throw in right field, he would spike it into the ground. Well, that's why I, I said worms I all over the world. Got he was a worm burner extraordinaire. And we joked about it a lot, but it happened a lot. Like, <laughs> you could count on it. The ball, like, bouncing into the infield. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Jock. And he was a, kind of a dick. I mean, he had been a real asshole to the sports writers asking him questions. He was kind of a defensive, yeah, kind of a prickly dude. Yeah. 
And then, you know, when he wasn't able to fight his own fights, his, you know, mom was in the stands yep. taking it up for him. That's right. Well, he, think about how popular, uh, how much Marquis would love him. Because they could, they could mic mom up in the stands for every game. And she'd come down and might, yell at, they might, yell they at, the other, at the other pitchers for throwing too close to her jock. Right. And some of the fans for criticizing him for another 30-foot throw. Um yeah, she might get her own spinoff on Marquis. And it's it's gotcha. funny because he had a perfect Jack Jones season in 06. We know from watching the games that he was basically a non-factor. Like he just, and at the end of the year, he hit 27 homers, 81 RBIs, and he hit 285. I never would have guessed that. I didn't think he was that productive. And you're like, hey. Um, yeah. When wow. Dusty showed up, Dusty had much less use for Jack the next year than, or uh, when Lou showed up, than Dusty did. And yes. Jack, but Jack got run late in the season playing center field because well, yet another early, one of the yet another year where the Cubs didn't have a center fielder. Well, the early in the season because the Soriano experiment was aborted pretty right. Jack, I th- would have thought no seven was the primary center fielder. Which, but yeah, it comes back to like you said, Pierre's the one guy for this year. He did get two hundred hits, but he still infuriated me because he was a guy that slapped a few big triples in the late in the two thousand three LCS against the Cubs. And then he was cold as shit to start. And when they got buried, he just seemed like he never, I, I, it, it angers me that he was allowed to get 200 hits because he must have had, what was his, did he even bat 300? No. 9,000 at bats. Yeah. How do you get 214 hits and not hit 300? He, you fucking swing at everything and hit the ball to the second baseman. Sometimes you beat it out, asshole. Yeah. 292 with a 330 on base. Unreal. 388 slug. And, but he was, but he was fast. So he's basically Nick Madrigal with speed. And think about how useless that is. And now I have Nick Madrigal without speed, which is what the Cubs, what the Cubs do have. Then you have That's Nick how Madrigal. useful he is. And speaking of Len Casper, now Len had uh, Len loved John, loved uh, Juan. They had been together with the Marlins. And, um, and he was always extolling Juan's virtues about what a hard worker he was. And the fact that Juan would come out to the park early before – the first game of the series. And he would check the slope of the foul lines by, quote-unquote, rolling his balls down the foul lines, which didn't actually mean his testicles, I don't think. I think they actually would roll baseballs down to see how they would roll. Right. He might get a citation for that. I always love the vision of <laughs> Jock heading out early in, you know, early in the morning to roll his balls right. down the foul lines. Right, right. Like, you think Moises Alou's uh, pregame habits are weird? Check this out. Now, one thing Juan didn't do is Juan never struck out. In This is impressive, actually. Is it Gracian? In 699 at-bats, how many times do you think Juan Pierre struck out? Well, the way you phrase it, I'm going to try to nail it because uh, I'm thinking it's obviously low. Is it 50? 38 times. Damn. And he only hit into six double plays. Because he's fast. All right. All right, so it has a player like that obviously has value, but he's still fifty-eight team. bases in seventy-eight attempts. So even by but he was not, metrics, but he wasn't really valuable. But he wasn't really valuable. I mean, there were a lot of empty stats on this team. Jock's twenty-five homers that didn't mean anything. Juan's fifty-eight yeah. stolen bases that didn't mean shit. A guy hitting two ninety-two, but only walking thirty-two times for an entire. That's so the thirty-eight strikeouts in six hundred ninety-nine bats. That's impressive. Thirty-two walks in six hundred ninety-nine bats for your leadoff hitter is insane. I mean, that's like 
at least Corey Patterson, when he did hit the ball, hit it hard. Yeah. You can't, they couldn't say that for Juan. Nope. And who did they trade for him? They gave up real. Who did they ball. trade for to get Pierre? Yeah. Actually, uh, in hindsight, this was fine. <laughs> they traded three pitchers for him. Uh, we, perpetual prospects, two of them, Ricky Velasco, Ricky Velasco, oh. and Raynell Pinto, and then a guy who uh, we tr- dare not speak his name anymore, Sergio Mitre. Yeah, we do not, but nope. got you. That's right. I would have remembered that. I remember. And so my, uh, I will advise you. He came up uh, the other yesterday on Twitter last week. He came, oh, we came up in our podcast. We, we no, but he he this. was. We we were tweeting about him for some reason yesterday. Uh, I just warned people: I, yeah, yeah. do not Google what he's up to these days. Uh, nope. At least don't do it seriously. For work. Don't. We I'm ran the same thing with Marquevious Mingo with far. the Bears. I know, yeah, I know. Just, I I, I can't know. remember Mingo's now. I'll look it up, but I can't very think of anything is worse than Mingo's. Very similar. Is it the first to die? Yeah, I think so. Because Mitre's yeah. okay. Oh wow. Okay, I have to go back then. Somehow I've washed away the Mingo one. So if you look at you change if you, the subject, if you look at Juan Pierre's most similar players from age twenty five to age thirty two, it's the same guy every time, and he's also a former Cub center fielder. So it's not Brett Butler, Cub center fielder, Cub center fielder. I can, uh, I'd give you a hint. Uh, I, would, I would give it away. Well, was he was he a center fielder before or after uh, uh, Pierre was a Cubs center fielder? Before, for just before a, he was for a brief period of time towards the end of his career. Toward the end of his career, before oh Kenny Lofton, no, nope, oh no, no way. Kenny, I don't know. Kenny stats would not. No, agree Kenny's, with right. Kenny's a borderline Hall of Famer. Willie Wilson. Oh yeah, well, we talked about Willie last week. Uh, so here are the guys. At 23, Juan's, um, the, you, of course, you remember these two guys. At 23, his most similar uh, comp was Ginger Beaumont. And when he was 24, it was the great Buttercup. <laughs> buttercup these are like white guys from the 19-teens? Make it up Buttercup it. Dickerson. Buttercup Dickerson was five foot six, 140 pounds. He was born in 1858. In Tiascan, Maryland. How the fuck do they have stats that can compare a guy yeah. from the 19th century to Buttercup played for the Cincinnati Redlegs. <laughs> he played for the, oh, what I know, the Troy Trojans. Well, that's original. The Worcester Ruby Legs. Oh, he played for the Redlegs and the Ruby Legs. Wow. The same socks. Still didn't have to buy new socks. Maybe The original Baltimore that. Orioles. 1884. Ooh, John, John, John McGraw and <clears throat> here's a uh, Wee Willie Keeler. In 1884, Buttercup Dickerson uh, played. Oh, he played eight games for the Louisville Eclipse. They went 68. That's the Louisville Redbird. And then he finished up his career with the Buffalo Bison. Buttercup Dickerson. Of course, we all remember Buttercup. So. What does that say about Juan Pierre? Yes. Like a, a 21st century player. Well, his, his the first guy, Ginger Beaumont, was born in 1876 in Rochester, Wisconsin. And he played Incredible. for he played for the Pirates. He played for the Boston Doves. And in nineteen ten he played for your Chicago Cubs. Wow, that was a pennant winning t- Cubs team, I, sh- I I might add. Lost the Connie Max A's in the World Series, but 
So there's your crossover. Yeah, Ginger. Um... You know, the, the Willie Wilson comp tracks because, you know, like a lot of kids, I was a voracious baseball card collector, specifically between 78 and about 85. And I think it was the 80 or 81 kid. I think it was the 81 Willie Wilson. The one with that was the ball cap on tops in the lower left-hand corner. But it was a special Willie Wilson card. It wasn't his player card. It was the, you know, a record-breaking card. And in 1980, Willie Wilson, I believe, set a record for most plate appearances or most at-bats in a season. I kind of screwed it up because I want to say it's at-bats, which would confirm the fact that he never walked. Willie led, in 1980, Willie led the, Roy, led the, led the American League, at least. Maybe the majors in plate appearances seven hundred forty five at bats seven hundred five forty walks one hundred thirty three hits two hundred and thirty triples fifteen and he walked twenty eight times in twenty eight seven hundred forty five plate appearances he walked twenty eight times I assumed it was forty because that was the difference between plate appearances and at bats, but he obviously he made had some sacrifice bunts and fly and sacrifice flies. So twenty eight walks and wow, wow. That is to- that totally tracks with Juan Pierre. And it's fitting that they both played for the Cubs at the end of their respective careers. Willie won a batting title in nineteen eighty two. Hit three thirty two. This is a legitimately good year. Three thirty two, three sixty five, four thirty one. Yeah. All Start, right. Uh, started walking. He didn't. Yeah. He walked 26 he times. <laughs> he just got lucky. Lot, so got, well, bad you get a lot of hits. You get, uh, how many hits? 194 hits. Okay. But yeah, that's where they, they're most similar. Basically, they didn't walk and they got lots of hits. And they both played for the Cubs. Yep. Now, well, uh, what if Juan Pierre had played 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier? And got to play on all those turf fields, he would have been a better player. Would have been a more valuable that's, player. That's what made Wilson more, but his speed yeah. would have would have that's translated a, better. That's a differentiator. You're right. He had a 1980 skill set, and the Cubs were like, "That's got to be our center fielder." In 2006. <laughs> we needed center fielders so bad. I couldn't even tell who. So their center fielder in 05 was Patterson, I guess. Right, that was the last, the last dying hope. That was Corey Patterson. So, you know, uh, yeah, the one year, the one year of Juan Pierre. Corey, two, oh, he had a good year, too. 215, 254, 348. Oh, he bottomed out then. And then we, we just had to see it. And one that was why they traded for Jody Garrett for 11 games. And then they traded for Matt Lawton for. To patrol center field. Jesus week. Christ. Matt Lawton for 19 what a, games. <laughs> it's such a uh, it's such a, a bleak period of time. Like 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 that. It's like the hangover from Game Six in 03. You know, we still talked ourselves up in 04. They were a better team on paper, but then like he just felt something off, and then they proved it. And then 05 and 06 was just like this fucking fog of like uninspiring trades and like, you know, they weren't a shitty team by, by any means. They were not that good either. Solidly in the middle. And then, like I said, it it just really started to bottom out this season. Yeah. 66 and 96. It got bad. It got so bad that even their, their stud closer, Ryan Dempster, he had quite a year. He was one and nine. With a 480 ERA and 24 saves in 74 games. 
Um, awesome. Yeah, it's great. As a team, they had they only had twenty nine saves. Bob Howry had the other five. And that was it. Good. Luck. Okay. Bob would stick around. He was back in 07. Got a good year um, out of Carlos. 16 and 7 with a 341 ERA and 33 starts. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Carlos. This is pretty much still peak Zambrano. I mean, he's really taken over. He's the most reliable starter. He's all-star quality. You know, uh, prior. Oh, here we go. Here's a fun fact. 2006, Mark Pryor threw his last pitch as a Cub. I, I can tell you without looking it up, it was against the – maybe it wasn't against the Tigers. I think what it was was that I was driving home from Michigan down Lakeshore Drive listening to a Sunday afternoon start against the Tigers. I, I, I thought at the time that was his last start, but he got bombed. And I just remember thinking, you know, they don't face the Tigers much. The Tigers went to the World Series that year. They were a good team. Of course, they shit the tub against the, the Cardinals. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, Pryor just couldn't even get out of the first inning, I want to say. I get my, my internet's hanging, so I can't pull the game up, but I, I take my word for it. Who who do you think had more home runs in 2006, Carlos Zambrano or Juan Pierre? Oh, Big Z. No doubt. What if I told you Juan Pierre had three home runs? Doesn't matter. I mean, come on. Sobrano still, even today, has the most homers for a pitcher of anybody in our lifetime since Wes Farrell. This was his best offensive season. He nice. hit six homers and drove in eleven runs. <laughs> yeah. Now he may he struck out twenty seven times in seventy three at bats and he walked once. So his slash line, not he hit one fifty one with a one sixty on base, but he'd slugged three ninety seven. Um which he slugged more than Todd Walker, Ronnie Cedeno, Juan Pierre, Nephi Perez, John Mabry, Angel Pagan, Jerry Hairston, Cesar Estrus, Tony Womack, Giovanni Soto, Michael Restovich. Tony Womack came back? <laughs> and Jose Reyes. Not that Jose Reyes. No, not that one. Yeah, Tony came back to finish his career with the Cubs. Holy shit. No memory of that. I would guess I that mean, you got him on. That sounds like a waiver thing. Let's see. 2006. Uh, signed as a free agent on May 18th and was released on June 30th. Yeah. In my defense, uh, there was at some point in this season where I was pretty checked out, I can, I can assure you. Do you remember so the picture be- that the Cubs uh, made this genius move that – I'm sure there's 2006 with Bleacher Nation around yet. Probably not. But if they were, they would have written, there would have been 15 think pieces about what a great move this was. The year before, the Cubs signed a guy and gave him a contract who was coming off uh, Tommy John disease. A oh, former, would this be Astros, No, a former Astros starter. And he rehabbed the whole year, and then he got to pitch for the Cubs in 06, a secret weapon. And I got to find him here. So this is not Scott Williamson when they were trying to duplicate the Ryan Dempster rehabilitative success, nope. which is was objectively a success. This was Wade Miller, who made oh. went zero and two in five starts, four fifty seven ERA. Son of a bitch. The Cubs in two thousand six. How many games combined did they get out of Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor? I'm going to set the over under for you at twenty. Over or under? How many what? Uh, did you say how, how many, many games wins? pitched? 
Carrie Wood, and oh. Mark Pryor combined. Just pitch because Wood, uh, Wood was still a starter. He did not emerge as a reliever until 07. So it was another banged up year. Without looking it up, can I just say 10? 13. Yeah. Wood I only pitched in four games. Pryor only pitched in nine. Wow. You know, they all sort of run together, right? especially Carrie's injuries. It's like, which you know, injury was this? This, point, was sh- this was the shoulder, right? How do you even bother to keep track? This is eight years after his rookie of the year. I mean, I, he'd probably spend a thousand days on the And eight years after his Tommy John disease uh, treatments. But there are so many others. 02 was the first year he threw a full season. 03, he also threw a full season. And then 04 started breaking down again. I mean, he really only had a two year window where he didn't miss a start, I feel like, maybe three. Well, this was the. So he gets shut down with the shoulder, and then he shows up in spring training in 07. And he's so despondent at how he feels that he's going to retire. And tells Henry that he thinks he's probably done. And he throws the the day he's literally going to make the announcement. He throws in Arizona. And his arm feels good. He says he's not going to retire. And he rehabs. He only pitches 22 games all in relief. And then the next year, he's an all-star. That's the closer. How about that? That's a cool story. Up your ass, these. He pitched for after he he was going to retire at in, in spring training oh seven he pitched in twenty twelve, although twenty twelve he basically yeah. stole money from the Cubs but that's fine he got uh, twenty twelve most remembered for the emotional hug uh, him and Ryan Terrio coming off the field. Nope, sorry, that's right. That was Terry's <laughs> small son. I always get those nice, two nice. Yeah, because of course Ryan Terrio was not no longer a member of the Cubs. No, I'm just kidding. That's a, Who did he I strike like out in his final at bat? Was it? It was a White Sox. It was Diane Viseiro. Was his name Diane? I'm pretty sure it was. It was. It was a nice moment. Otherwise bittersweet. Like struck like, him out, and the great know. Dale Svame came out and got him, so he could yeah. get his get his. That's ovation. right, Kerry Wood. God, Kerry Wood actually links the 90, 1998 yeah. Jim Riggleman, Gary Gaetti Cubs to the Ricketts owned Epstein Run Cubs. Yeah. That's uh, that's actually pretty impressive. Well, I think it was I think it was Bruce Miles on, the, on this very podcast who talked about how when Theo came, Theo was talking a big game about how you know uh, we're focused on rebuilding this team and we're not going for cheap publicity stunts and whatever. And the first Cub convention, they announced we're bringing back Kerry Wood. <laughs> Was was 2006 also the year in which former Cubs color man, future Sox color man, and at the time a a provocative score uh, paid analyst Steve Stone told uh, everyone that Kerry Wood should sell cars if he uh, doesn't think he could pitch or something. And up your ass, he was an also the next year, Stoney. Yeah, we should we can do a whole remember this crap about what a prick Steve Stone is too. That'd be fun. I mean, I'll make it fair and balanced because he he is the voice of my youth too. But that doesn't make me blind no. to you know, even as a kid, the, the the smarminess was on my radar. Like, all right, so like I wasn't a hundred percent in love with him. He taught me a lot, but it was also like, all right, you're a little pedantic, you're a little annoying, you're a little condescending. Jim Deshays has none of that. Jim Deshays is the greatest color analyst of our lifetime. Oh. Better than Joe Carter. Um, <laughs> better than Davy Nelson. Davy um, Nelson, I was gonna say. The, the no, but Steve Stone, Steve Stone contains multitudes, right? Like he can be more than one thing. Like he, he is a good analyst. 
He is. He's a smart guy. College He's, boy. What the can- well, Some of it is pretty overplayed. Like it, I remember as a little leaguer catching on to the, you know, if he bounces the slider here, O2's going to strike him out. And he realized, well, yeah, because pitchers try this shit all the time. So that's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty safe bet. But he deserves a lot of credit, especially post-stroke. For Harry. how he worked with Harry, propping him up absolutely because he was he got really and we learned we saw it then with uh, now with the uh, uh, imminent Cubs Hall of Famer Pat Hughes, working with Ron Sano at the it's, end. It's reverse oh, the whole same time. thing. Same, no, the whole time. How you how you can correct an ob- something an obvious misstatement that your partner made without being a prick about it and without like. Drawing huge attention to it, you could just kind of gently like restate what they said, only right, right, and they don't even notice that you're correcting them. And Steve was really good at that and keeping the yeah. thing on the tracks. Um, and he's an interesting guy, you know. I mean, he's um, is he a l- lawyer? Did he go to law school? No, he is a smart. He's a smart guy. He's uh, the second to last twenty five game winner. Yeah. Pitch for both the Cubs and Sox. But you could be all that and still be a playgirl. And, yeah. and he is. Yeah, and he playgirl and he got me banned from Twitter for three days <laughs> because I posted a p- naked picture of him. You can't <laughs> see anything. But you can see no. he's naked, but you know, you don't see little he's Steve. Very eligible bachelor in the eighties. Uh yeah, I mean he's still around. I'm enjoying the fact that he's actually seeing two thousand four redo. Yep. I've seen some chat chatter yes, this week. And that and that let's just bring it back to oh six and his comments on the score where he was very unkind to Kerry Wood, a guy that he had sort of looked over his career since he had come into the league. And I think it was pretty obvious that Stoney had a bit of an agenda because 04, and we'll do a deep dive on this, but just to summarize it, it was a lot of uh, collateral damage from the, from the, uh, from the collapse of 04. And that included the broadcasters. Thankfully, one for sure was Chip Carey, but it was the end of Steve Stone's long. He actually served in the booth longer than Harry. If you um, even you factor out his fake disease from '99 and 2000, and he, you know, he, he had a he lung was, fungus. He was blasting. Valley fever's people. a real thing. He was blasting people on his way out of the door. The Cubs never came back. He's never been back. He eventually ended up with the Sox after they won a World Series, which is funny. So Stoney's never actually been in town for either World Series team, but he's been now. He's now he's sort of been pretty installed with the Sox for 15 years. And again, it's the same same old shit. He's the, he's a good analyst. He's not a dipshit, but he is a smarmy. He is pedantic, and uh, and it is enjoyable to see him have to like suffer, especially because he's gone to great lengths to defend the team to be that guy that's like, everything's fine and stop being such a dipshit. And yeah. it's like, you're running out of time. So, well, and gonna, that, that to, that's a on window that. on stone too. Like with the Cubs, he was interacting every day with the players who were that we'll get to, we get to Oh four. There was a bunch of assholes on that team. There just, yeah. there was. Kent Merker, yeah. And now who do you interact with most? Cause when, when he does dip his toe into Twitter, it's the fans. And so the players were annoying him in 06. The fans were annoying him in 22. And he lashes out against the people that are annoying. It's like, just calm down. Everything's going to be great. Is yeah. It? Well, I I, I, when they make him look dumb, I'm just waiting for him to turn on the socks like he did on the Cubs in 04. So. Um, I do think he probably. I mean, I don't want to say he wouldn't be doing it anymore, but I think he clearly, his career was rejuvenated with Jason Benet. Like sure. he's actually, well, he, could, he you know, likes he likes him. They have fun. I mean, he yes. put up with Hawk 
for yeah. That, he, he was kind of propping up Hawk in the way that Hughes was doing Sano and, and right. But Stone the himself big difference was Stone liked Harry, Pat liked Ron. Stone yeah, didn't like Hawk. Yeah, oh well, how could he? he? Still loves to make fun of the fact that Hawk. Remember the time that uh, um, um, what's his name? Frazier. I want to call him Adam, but it's the other guy. Kelsey. Oh, Adam. Oh, I forget his new name. Todd. Or whatever. Todd Frazier oh, hit Todd. on the pitch yeah. and had to go down to the clubhouse, and Hawk left the booth to go check on him. All dramatic. And Stone yeah. is like, apparently, Ken has left to go check on Todd Frazier, so I'll just do play-by-play now. Weirdo. Yes. What a complete weirdo. Former Little League uh, World Series star, Todd Frazier. So, not as good I, as I, Lloyd I, McClendon, but, you know. He's no, who True. Quick. Or Daniel Elmora. Was that that Yankees pitcher or the, the pitcher that was like 20? Danny Almonte. Almonte, yeah. Yankees drafted him. He never made it. Um, I, I have to cover a couple games real Oof. quick. And, and and here's one that happened a week before. the. the we're going to talk about the Barrett-Persinski game, but I just realized it was a week before. I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, my daughter, I have to share this personal story. My daughter was born February 7th, 2006, and being a season ticket holder, of course, being a weirdo, I... My wife and I dragged our daughter to our seats in her baby carriage. She didn't know what the fuck was going on. Um, I don't even think we had to burn a ticket on her. That's how small she was. So we had two other friends in our seats. And I didn't even realize. I knew it was a shitty game. It was on Mother's Day, my wife's first Mother's Day uh, as a mother. And until I pulled it up tonight, I think it's fitting, although the Cubs have since won a World Series, that on this Sunday, Mother's Day, May 14th, 2006, I saw my, my daughter's first Cubs game was them losing by the, the same score as a forfeited game, 9 to nothing, and they had two hits. Uh, although I do believe that the appearance by Jay Cook Ryu may have been his major league debut. I don't know if that's true or not, but did he Did he pause the game to throw baseballs at an endangered right. bird? Not endangered, just one of the pigeons that was uh, on on one of the lines that was holding up the the screen. So, do you remember who got the hits? I did, no, I do not. I was sort of like you know nervous dad still, so I was a little distracted. I think the guys with the two highest batting averages on the team that day, Michael uh, Barrett. Oh no, Ronnie Cedeno was two eighty eight. Todd Walker two eighty four. He played first base. He got a, he got a hit, and Michael Barrett two eighty one. He also got a hit. Michael Barrett as on that day was slashing two eighty one three fifty two five ten. Well, we could go back real quick because I just remembered another one. Opening day weekend against the Cardinals. Cubs swept the Cardinals. Uh, I was, At this point, I've been going to every opening day. It had been like my 11th in a row. It was an unseasonably warm April Friday afternoon when they beat him. And then I went back Sunday. Oleg and I were there with two other friends. And, and Sunday's game was pretty awesome. And we had, there, So there was. I almost you know gave 2006 some short shrift. There was a brief... Uh, a brief hope that the Cubs team would be really good in, the, in that opening weekend. Uh, I don't know, sixth or seventh inning, uh, the Cubs are down three runs, and Jason Isringhausen, it must have been the eighth inning, Isringhausen comes in. He was the steadfast Cardinals closer, and the, he comes in with the bases loaded, and the very first fucking pitch, Michael Barrett deposited in the left field bleachers for a lead-changing go-ahead grand slam, and the Cubs would finish the sweep, and we uh, we were had some high hopes. Scott point. Scott Williamson got the win. Wow. I didn't even know that. I thought I thought his whole rehab experiment was aborted and nipped in the butt. I didn't even know he made it to the Cubs, let alone got a got a victory. Jerome Williams pitched in that game. Oh, Jerome Williams and David Armstrong were the two guys that the Cubs got when they traded. I can't remember now. Oh, of course um, you can. The most popular relief pitcher in Cub history. Latroy Hawkins, Latroy thank Hawkins. you. 
Um, Famously told wow. George Offman, you can't do my job, but I can do yours. Ooh, and he's probably right. That's George. Well, he's some of George. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you know? I got to. Well, I got to double check. Make sure I get the country right. That that game you were at, you saw a night pitch. Is well, it was a Sunday night game. We saw a K N I G H T as the starting pitcher for the Cardinals. Okay. Sidney Ponson. Oh, the Aruba. Aruba. Yes. It had actually been knighted. He was Sir Sidney. Big fat tub of goo. Wow. Some people have seen Paul McCartney at Wrigley Field. I've seen Sidney Ponson. Take that. Listed at 6'1, 220. They're only off by about 60 pounds. He was a tubby. That was after he, because he had a brief run as a good pitcher for the Orioles, right? Ace. Uh, he won 12 games in 99, but he also lost 12. Uh, combined in, in 03 a... between the, um, oh, here it was. In 03, he was 14 and 6, got traded to the Giants uh, for, the, for their ill-fated pennant run, which would crap out um, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Series before the Cubs, uh, Sydney went uh, three and six with a three. His ERA was bad. Three and six for the Giants. He then did the thing that nobody ever does. He went back to the Orioles. So the Orioles got the guys they traded for Sydney, and they got Sydney, and then he was yep. bad. So that didn't yeah. really, didn't really work. That's it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com um, so that's so in that game. That's you're talking about the the Cardinals game where Barrett helped, with, yeah, with the grand slam to uh, to sweep the series. Probably a high point for Michael Barrett at that point. Been the catcher for two years. He had done and said some odd things, and we were starting to get a little suspicious. But then things started to jump the rails on Saturday, May twentieth. Um, he did something that you know, some fans will. I don't know. We can talk about it. Maybe we can relive it because even in the Discipio message board, there were, there were two sides to it because a lot of us were a lot. I was on the bandwagon that Michael Barrett is a stupid fucker. Yes, it's always a good day when AJ Pruszynski gets punched in the face. I it's a great day in America when that happens. But in that scenario, like he's just a moron. Like, what's the point? Like it's and it just shows his lack of reading a room. I thought like AJ's a dick, but AJ. Fair and square, you know. Like, what, did he did he knock Barrett over and then brush past him? Because now I'm starting to question exactly how it all went down. Well, I'm sure we can call it up. I, what I remember before we look at it is, um, he slid in unnecessarily on the sack fly, got up. I believe 
Uh, Barrett was kind of in the way. He shoved him, and then he was doing the AJ like he's all excited and he's like screaming at home plate. And then Barrett looked at yeah. him. Barrett's like "fuck you" and just punched him in the face. So now, he didn't even knock him over. He just like fucking made him mad. Michael Barrett that comes right up. Michael Barrett punches AJ Przinsky. So, so he didn't he didn't have a good baseball reason to do it. He just he made him mad. Pretty much. Stupid. Uh, oh, it's Merton. Jingle. Merton and Lark. Well, here, wait up, say I'll play it, and then the fans can hear it. The listeners. Yeah, good idea. It. I just looked at it. Yeah, it is the first hit. Uh, I'm not going to subject you to the Jake from State Farm commercial that YouTube is playing. Oh, for me right now. I didn't even get that on mine. Oh, you got the fancy. Um, it must be. You paying, paying, paying to not get the ads. I'm not paying YouTube, so no, I don't know. I just got lucky. But it's a good one to look for. Got a fastball and there's a fly ball in the short left field. Tom Brennan wanting to know, am I going? He is going. Here comes a throw by Merton. It is. Oh, he did. They didn't run play. into him. Then he like. He did. That's the part right there. He like. He heads for him. And here they go. After he scores. Bumps Watch John Mabry. Watch John Mabry get his ass kicked in here in a second. <laughs> That's one thing I remember. Jerry Harrison running in like. Play. Yeah. And then Scotty Pod was beating up Mabry or something. Pierzynski ran right through Barrett. And then but Barrett didn't have the ball. Let's go on Freddie Garcia's hair. And Barrett came after him. Posednik wound up more involved with Barrett than Pierzynski did. And picked him up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, whatever. Now, the residue of this was, of course, um, the, they don't do it anymore, right? You don't. After the All Star teams were picked, they would pick five of the people that were snubbed, and the fans could vote one in. That's right. And the White Sox got Przinsky voted in that year with their very creative punch AJ campaign. I don't even remember that, but okay. Yeah, so he ran into Barrett at home plate uh, collision. But then what pissed Barrett off, Barrett kind of goes ass over T-Cal. He goes to get up, and AJ has, like, wandered over towards him and shoves okay. him with his a bit of a, a bit of a dick move, unnecessary, egregious. It would have been fine if he just knocked him over. It wasn't the knocking him over because that was legit. Barrett didn't have the ball, so Barrett should know as a catcher, even though he's dumb, uh, that you can't block the plate without the ball. Yeah. It was embarrassing because it was such a, like, it was such a kind of a sad overreaction. But at the same time, it's everybody should have been punching AJ Przinsky in the face. Like my caveat is that anytime AJ Przinsky gets punched in the face, it's a good day in America. I just felt, yeah, it was. I just was embarrassed, and you know, I was just frustrated, angry. This is when I like snapped as a fan. I, like, you know, I was so I was already been done with McPhail, and, and then Fitz Simons was was the CEO back then. He was like the whole Jim Dowdle or the the Stanton Cook at this point. Fortunately, things did get so bad that they they did finally cut the cord, but the Sox were defending fucking World Series champions, and we're still smarting from being five outs from a pennant three years earlier, and our team sucks, and this happens. And then, like I just felt, yeah, fuck you, Sox, that's right. But they, they were just outclassing them, I felt like. And Barrett, 
that's I really started to turn on him. And we, uh, we uh, for the next year, I think everyone pretty much turned against Barrett until Zambrano pretty much put the you know the the, the punctuation on it about a year later. Um, but if we're going to pile on Michael Barrett, we should also pile on the other dopey white guy from that team, Ryan Dempster, which we're never hesitant to do because in the rematch, uh, Przinsky got to like just shove it up Cubs fans tiny again at the rematch in Wrigley. And this was a game I went to now. All right. Granted, I'm 34 years old. I'm a grown ass man. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that when Oleg and I were taking the train down there, we stopped at Dominic's to pick up some Brown Dominic's grocery bags, cut some holes in their eyes and bring them for the other two guys that we were sitting at. We did not, however, wear those bags. We wanted the Cubs to win, even though they're out of it, but they come into the game on Saturday, July 1st with a 29 and 50 record. So things had really fucking jumped the rails. Absolutely frustrated with them all. Dusty, McPhail, Henry, Foot Simons. It's just like the fact that they were so close three years ago just made it even more pronounced. But and I think Maddox was the pitcher this day, but it was a nice, pleasant day at the ballpark. Cubs had the uh, early lead, and they were cruising. And, uh, yeah, it was Maddox. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. Maddox gave up 10 hits. No walks, though. Scattered, scattered, scattered 10 hits. Holds him to four runs. Uh, and so these brown paper Dominic bags that were under our seats, we're not going to use them. I'm not going to be a dick and, like, you know, start ripping them when they're winning. It's like they have to do something really embarrassing for me to put this on. I'm just being prepared like a boy scout. And sure enough, who comes riding into the uh, riding in from the bullpen on his unicycle while he's juggling a bunch of golf balls as Ryan Dempster to nail down the save with the Cubs holding on to a six to five lead. But instead what happens? And I don't know if it was with how many outs were people standing. Were there two outs? I don't know. Uh, no, there was, yeah, there are two. I think it's the first two outs gives up a single to former cover Ross Glode. World Series MVP Jermaine Die walks, and then on a one-one pitch, AJ, who had already, you know, become the whatever you want to call him, the villain in the North Side, hits a lead-changing, go-ahead, winning home run, as it would prove to be. And it was immediately after that home run that the four of us, the three of us, because one of them was a Sox fan, so we put the bags on my head. That is the story, folks. If you're curious, and you look at my Twitter profile at Hugh Cub. That is still my profile picture from this game, 2006, when my really mature 34-year-old ass actually put a brown paper bag on his head. But this team drove me to it. So now over the weekend, Joe Girardi was uh, the third man in the booth for the Cubs on marquee. I heard that. Jim Deshaies' boo. It was pretty good. It's completely unnecessary, but pretty. it was pretty good. Yeah. Everything on marquee is completely unnecessary. He got asked by, I guess, Boog about his, uh, like, the, did he ever just lose it as a manager? And he said, he felt like he only really lost control once. And it was um, A-Rod's first game in Boston, I guess after his suspension. And Ryan Dempster hit him on purpose. He and missed what, him the first time, that's didn't he? What Joe, he missed him the first two times. That's what a fucking just inept douchebag Ryan Dempster was. And what Joe said, the reason he got pissed was, okay, so he tries to hit him the first time and he misses. He tries the second time and the ump doesn't warn him. No. And then he hits A-Rod and it starts the little kerfuffle. And Joe ran out and basically lost it on the ump. Like, you know, basically this asshole tried to hit him twice and he didn't do anything about it. And you let him hit him. 
And I, I love the fact that it made the story makes Dempster look so bad. It's a right perfect on his Dempster precious story. marquee. Nice. So now here's the thing. After Michael Barrett, after the he, that that game was on the 20th of May when he punched AJ in the face. Cubs lost seven nothing. Great effort, boys. Yep. Um, for the rest of the season, at the time, let's see what was he hitting. He was hitting 286, 357 on base, a 491 slug. Do you think he performed better or worse the rest of the season? Well, I know because I looked. He led the team in OPS. He performed better offensively. Yeah, from May 21st to the end of the year, he hit 316 with a 372 on base and a 527 slug. He, he is arguably before Contreras, and even with Contreras, I think he ranks higher OPS. He's one of the best offensive catchers the Cubs had, but he was such a terrible defensive catcher, he's not even in the conversation. No. I mean, obviously, Contreras wins it. Jody's the number two competitor, but like Barrett would be like fifth or sixth on the list even though he has the highest OPS among them because he really wasn't a catcher. No, he was a third baseman. He was a bad and third a bad baseman who tried to make it into a catcher. And because they, for some reason, couldn't go out and find a real catcher. That's That was Henry's solution. Now, the Expos, they converted him to catcher. So it's not like they got him and converted him. But the Expos were like, yeah, you can have him. That's fine. Take him. Right. What did we get for Michael Barrett? They got I'm Rob wondering. Bowen, right? When they traded him. And did they sign him, though? Because I remember, here's the other Barrett. Oh, Przinsky who did the Expos inter- get for him? Here's the other Barrett Przinsky intersection. It was that you remember that A.G. Przinsky was a promising, uh, proven young player for the Twins who was available after the 02 season, and the Cubs did not. Nope. Well, yeah, wait, he went to the Giants yes, in 03. The Cubs, Hendry tried like hell to trade for A.J. Pruszynski. And the Giants it's made... Settled. He's settled for Michael Barrett. The Giants made what turned out to be a terrible trade for A.J. Oof Bonker, Joe Nathan, and the other really good player besides Joe Nathan, right? Uh, Francisco... Uh, Liriano. Yeah. I mean, they gave up way too much for A.J., who, who flamed out in San Francisco in one year. In now, here's where the season. mistake was. The mistake wasn't when Jim tried to get him. He went to San Francisco. The Cubs needed a catcher again. He's back on the market. And now he's completely well, devalued. They, had Barrett, right? they didn't have Barrett yet, right? They didn't, get no. Barrett, they didn't get Barrett until they got him after the 03 season. I think AJ's terrible year in San Francisco was 03. Right, you're right, you're right, you're right. My bad, you're right. And Okay, he, that's the timeline. He didn't go after him the second time when the White Sox got him for nothing. That's what it was. And then he actually he turned out to be you know good. He was, not only was he bad in San Francisco, there's a famous story about he, um, he got hit in the balls trying to block a pitch. And the trainer came out. And the trainer's like, well, how does it feel? AJ is now standing up. And the trainer's like, well, how bad, or how does it feel? And AJ grabs the trainer by the shoulders and knees him in the balls. He goes, feels yeah. like that. That's the kind of fucking asshole that we're dealing with. Yeah. But And now he's so is- charming. Oh, he does the games on Fox, and everybody well, thinks he's great. He's an, he will always be an asshole. He's an asshole. But I, I, I suggest to you the Dennis Rodman principle. Had the Cubs gotten him and they won, he'd be a hero for yeah, us. Yeah, of course he would. I did. I remember wanting him, and like, well, and then I was like, all right, well, this Michael Barrett's pretty good. Now you're right. Um, your time, your timeline was right because he. But, but Henry would not have been able to compete, so you can't blame Henry for not getting Przinsky because no. right the the 
he tried to get him, and the the Giants gave up way too much for AJ Brzezinski. Yeah, so that's not Henry's fault. That's but just, he could uh, have cut bait on Michael Barrett after one year, and because AJ had been released, the White yeah. Sox got him for money. Actually, he could have brought him in. He could have had both of them. Well, what about Hank White? Come on. Well, yeah, they could have both sat behind Hank and learned something. That's right. <laughs> was Hank, Hank had to be in the 06, right? He was there forever. Yeah, he was. Of course he, he was. was. 261 plate appearances. He was an all-star that year, I think. He? Barrett must have been hurt because he only had 418 plate appearances. Yeah, he missed, a, he he missed not, a hunk. Meaning he did not qualify for an, a batting title, which meant that the Cubs' leading hitter for players who had the 502 plate appearances would be in his first full season as an everyday player, Matt Merton, I believe. 297. And uh, nobody hit 135 base hits as softly as Matt Merton did. Hank, Something about the way Hank White hit 266, 304, 419, six homers, 37 RBIs, 723 OPS. His 81 OPS plus was his best to date. It was. Is that right? But he would top it in 08 with the Cubs, 83. In 09 with the Padres, 94, culminating in 2011 with the Arizona Diamondbacks, 132 OPS plus. Damn. I'm going to get six. In 100, in 100 at bat. But still. Well, that's not bad. Hank uh, kept himself in shape. So at some point, he was no worse than most backup catchers. Hank's got two World Series rings as a coach. Wow. Yeah. Cubs and the And Nationals. it's perfect that he was on the 2016. Oh, he was on the 2019 Nationals, too. He went with, uh, nice. went with Dave Martinez. He's still there. Uh, a lot of great, a lot of great Cubs on this team. I don't know how they didn't win more. Oh, so the Matt Merton thing. I think I, I'm not to bring it back to Nick Madrigal again, but I'm gonna. Everybody's like well, similar. All Nick Madrigal does, he all he does is hit. That's all he does. He hits. He's never been his career batting average has never been under 300. It wasn't until Merton's third season as a Cub, that his career batting average had spent a single day under 300. And yeah, you like, mentioned that just like Nicky Madder, Just like uh, Nicky Madder. And what it is, career yeah. ended up? Matt Merton ended up with a career batting average of 286. Oh, well under. Yeah. Sounds like they figured him out. Yeah, his OPS, uh, I mean, granted, Nick Madrigal, after spending a little time with the Cubs, Aloha. is now 293. So Merton had a 908 OPS in that, uh, you know, in an abbreviated 160 play it appears in 05. But then he had an 809 OPS, even for a, what I felt was a single center. Pretty good in 06. And then from after that, 791, 448, 586, 260. It just fell off a cliff. It's funny. He was, he was a product of the Peter Gammons Boston hype machine. So, like, the, the trade happens, and he's a throw-in. He's basically literally a throw in. Henry it's didn't the, have it's the, Henry didn't have no, big plans for Nomad Matt Merton. Trade. It was he was not the key to any deal. And uh, he goes and um you know, Gammons, who has lots of Red Sox connections, is like, Hey, the Cubs really got something in this Matt Merton. Who the Red Sox really like, yeah. what the fuck? We you know, slappy weird well, Cunningham looking dude. But, but the but, yeah, but the context too, I will say that this is early in the sort of money ball awakening for lack of the book came out in 02. and you know, I think people were kind of getting shifting towards these guys that had good eyes because his, his on base was always pretty yeah. Cool. I mean, but do you think Not Theo would have given him up if he really thought that that was going to turn into something? Wow, well, yeah, because Theo, Theo was the guy in Boston. You're right. 
Oh, he did have a nice year in 06, though. Mamron was I fine. Mean, he was, I mean, he wasn't, he was literally thrown into that trade, and the Cubs got something out of him, which is more than you usually get yeah, out of what, guys who were thrown into a trade. 104, a 104 OPS as an everyday player in 06. He broke in, in on the, the same day out. with the great Adam Greenberg. Yes, he did. They were going to save the season. Yeah, 05. And, uh, yep. I didn't, that didn't. Did they? Did they yeah, save the so season? The, no, I guess they didn't save the season. No, they didn't. But 2006, definitely Matt Merton's finest major league season. So kudos to you, you ginger bastard, ginger haired bastard. Yeah. Let's see. The Cubs went uh, 13 to 10 in April, fueled mostly by the 9 and 5 start with Derek Lee still ambulatory. Yep. And then things got kind of bleak. Seven and twenty-two in May, and nine and eighteen in June. So sixteen and forty. That's a Jim Riddleman-esque. That's a stretch. Crap out. It's very much like shades of nineteen ninety-nine. That's the anger that I had on my shoulders going to the park on July first, and they can it continued with the so dumpster. There are a lot of fans making a big deal of the fact that the Cubs this year have had a good August, and they're like, oh, oh signs, they- signs that this team is really getting good. Oh. How about the fact that the how about the fact that the 2006 Cubs, one of the worst teams they've ever had, and that's saying something. 96 losses. They went 14 and 12 in July that year. That didn't that that was not a sign they were turning anything around. It's baseball, and every team has a decent, even a terrible team has a decent month. That's just how it works. The bad teams can't string them together because they're bad, and that's what the Cubs are right now. Right. I'm seeing some parallels, actually. Because really, the problem was in what they were this bad luck, bad luck in one-run games. They were fifteen and twenty-six, or or maybe they're bad, and maybe that's why they lost one-run games. Because they also it's lost not- twenty of their fifty-four blowouts, or they only won twenty of the fifty-four blowouts, whatever that. Well, and, and and especially without Lee, now now I have to circle back because it must have been a down year for our guy Aramis if Matt Merton was. Uh, leading hitter, so might have been. I mean, maybe people just packed it in early. It was a dead on arrival season, so. But I mean, it would otherwise be peak, uh, peak around us. The uh, two let's see who won the who won the central two thousand six. Was that a cardinal? Fucking cardinals won it all because the oh, Tigers right. pitched. That was one of their uh, they right. The Cardinals have gone to the World Series on two. This was the '84 uh, win team. This is the right. team that this had like that ten game yeah, right. losing streak. Mentioned of the Tigers that threw the ball. Then, yeah, and then just to get there, like they had '83 win. That's why I'm like, when you're like, well, you know, if the Cubs, I think it was pregame, pre 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 podcast, yeah, so was bitching like, about know, frustrating how the Cubs didn't try. In a year they didn't try this year so because bad, they didn't week. even pretend. But to I try feel like, but for some fucking evil reason the cardinals are the only team that capitalizes on that because usually if you're a mediocre team that sneaks in the playoffs you don't go very far so the cardinals it's not like won, hockey cardinals allegedly won the world series that year what way did the cub record against the cardinals was well they swept them in april so they might have been a little bit of a pain in the ass for them cubs won the season series 11 to 8 wow what an anomaly they did their part at least and actually we should look this up. That one good one good thing about Dusty is he, he always beat the Cardinals. Kind of like Robbie the Packers. He was pretty good against the Cardinals. 
Okay. And he was a Cardinal tormentor even before he got to the Cubs. He had knocked them out of the yeah. Oh, two. Knocked O2. them out of the playoffs, and they thought they were going to win the World Series that year. That's right. Okay. I'm like, all right, a little bit of redemption because right, we pointed so out the same thing for Lovey. Let's see here. In 2003, uh, Cubs lost the season series eight to nine, but of course they had that uh, infamous uh, four out of four five games in five September. days, which this current Cub team couldn't quite duplicate. No, they won three though. No, they won two. Sorry, two. They went two and three. It's better than many. we thought. In 04... No, I guess. All right, here's this is apocryphal. Cardinals uh, season series, eleven eight. So uh, twenty to sixteen. Oh so five. Cubs. Well, so the Cubs bad teams. Cubs won that season series ten to six. And then eleven. Okay. Eight, and then 11 that, eight now eight it's the next year. Twenty six. Twenty six. So thirty seven to thirty five. He had a winning record against the Cardinals. All right. So he did. But, but it, it was, was weird. Shitty the, teams. The years you would have thought the Cubs would have beat up on him, they didn't. Yeah. The years when they didn't think they would, they did. And I'm pretty sure the Cardinals were a playoff team all of those seasons, except for 03, right? Because 04, they before they lost the, the World Series, series the Red Sox. The Red Sox. And 05 was in spite of Albert Pujols hitting a yeah. 900 foot homer off of uh, Brad. What's his name? Yeah, uh, they didn't go to the series, and then 06 they did. So yeah. Good Cardinals teams, whatever. But yeah, Dusty did okay. That's a small feather in your cap. Kind of like Lovey still has a losing record, I think, against the Packers, but comparatively to other coaches, he kind of stemmed the tide for a short period well, of time. That, so they had that rumor they won ten out of thirteen against the and That's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah so pretty Lovey owned went him back for business. like for he like did. six years. Starting an old Yeah, he, yeah, and he then, didn't get struck. Then it got real like, bad. Oh, like yeah. Ten, maybe it wasn't ten. Maybe it was ten and five. Maybe it was over. But it's ten and something. It's like, ooh, the Cubs, the Bears did that. Yes, for a brief moment, they were competent against the Packers. So oh. the Flus, the yeah. Flus is going to fix all that shit. Raheem and Ryan pulls are going to take we'll the see. North. They're not going to give it back. That's what they told me. Take the North. All right, David Howe's on board. David Howe, yeah, check out that podcast. Tell us how it is, because no, God knows no, I'm not going to listen to that shit. Or just stab yourself in the ears. God, I'm starting to look at the roster now. I'm seeing some names. I'll let you do this. <laughs> well, of course, John Mabry. Uh, great yep. year. 205. Didn't do a damn thing. Yeah, he was absolutely useless. Phil Nevin put up some huge numbers to get himself traded to the uh, yep. for whoever that guy was with the Twins. He hit 12 homers, 33 RBIs in just uh, 67 games. 274, 335, 497. Oh, yeah. Good old number oh, yeah. 40, I believe, he wore for the Cubs. Uh, one of Sutcliffe's was the only one, only uniform big enough to, he could get he could pull on. True. Uh, Angel Pagan. So Angel Pagan, undistinguished player, but then had some like above zero war seasons for the Giants a few years later. He was a, we didn't think much of him at the time, and certainly not with a small well, 701 OPS, not bad for a speedy like center fielder type, but he actually was an everyday player and had a couple of really good seasons later on. Uh, yeah, Switch he was a he was not still on the team when they won the World Series in fourteen. He was uh, for part of the season he was, but he was on the twenty twelve uh, World Series champion. Yeah, Giants. everyday player, fucking uh, a. He had seven seventy eight OPS, led the National League in triples that year. In the World Series, he was great. He hit one twenty five. No, I guess he wasn't. Uh, pretty good in the NLCS though against the Cardinals. Yeah, well, all right, there you go. Hit a homer. 
Did a homer. Got a homer yeah, in the first good. round against Dusty's Reds. Oh, played against the Cubs in 16. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. He a was still... hits, too. Yep. All right. Oh, you mentioned that, I think. All right. Yeah. Well, we didn't think, you know, good for Angel to have a nice career there. And a bit. 18 war player halfway on his Baines, on his way to Harold Baines territory. But we didn't, we, nobody would have thought that Angel Pagan would end up a 16 war player uh, in 2006. Now, the great Scott Moore was a 2006 Ooh, our third, Cub. Our third baseman of the, our, our solution at third base in case Ramirez doesn't pan out. Now, the biggest, the biggest contribution he made was the next year he was part of a huge trade. The Cubs needed pitching in 07. And he got traded with Rocky Cherry for what former great Cub? They brought him back for the stretch run. Craig Monroe. No, pitcher. Right? Oh. And he was so good for the 07 Cubs. Uh, I believe he had an ERA of over uh, 831. Steve Traxel. Yeah, Traxel. I, I, for some reason, I thought Scott Moore got dealt to Detroit. Where he got what? Tampa Bay. Where did Traxel come back from? Baltimore. Ah, uh, yeah. Tra- we talked about the 07, the the painful death slog. It was almost similar to '98, where the Cubs just didn't have that much starting pitching, as evidenced by an aging Steve Traxel just getting lit up every. He had like three starts and just got lit up. So now, one of the marquee guys was reminiscing during the Red Series about. I think it was Pat. I think it was Pat. Pat was sitting in with uh, Rick Sutcliffe. Mm-hmm. Rick was three sheets of the wind, as usual. And uh, Pat was talking about the Reds and was talking about how the Cubs clinched the division in 07. Yeah. They won a game, which put their magic number to one, and then they all hung yeah. out in the clubhouse. Talk- yeah, we talked they about watched this. It, and Pat left out what I thought was the most interesting part of the story. Well, you remember the Padres and we needed the Padres and Brewers game to come in. Yeah, Padres beat the and Greg Pat, Pat told this whole story, great detail, and didn't point out the fact that Greg Maddox was the guy yeah. who won the game for the Padres to put the Cubs in the World Series. Yeah, uh, that one uh, fell fell into Pat's blind spot. It's yep. a rare miss. Oh, I'm thinking that it's time I might have to revoke the Cub Hall of Fame for that. Well, or maybe that's why Crane was having second thoughts and almost fired him on the air. Well, only prop, Crane just handed him the wrong sheet of paper. Meant to hand him his <laughs> walkie papers instead. He handed him the Hall of Fame one, and now he's got to put him. Got to pretend like he's going to put him. Typical crane. Typical crane. Uh, a scrappy young uh, second baseman shortstop. Uh, I guess he'd played a little bit in 05. He played nine games in 05, but he played 53 games for the 2006 Cubs. He would be a huge, important member of back to back division champs. Half of the Cajun connection. The great awesome. Ryan Terrio. Yeah. Uh, 2008, 2008 division-winning Cubs starting shortstop. In case you're wondering why they fell short of expectations. Back when uh, Henry looked at the at his lineup or his, his roster, and he had Ryan Terry short, and went, "Ah, it's good enough." Exactly. Ugh. Do you remember the old chiclet-toothed Freddie yeah. Boom Boom Bynum? Do I remember him? I'm the guy that coined the nickname Piano Keys. <laughs> Those are some terrible teeth. I'm not saying Freddie had big teeth, but you know he could chew his way through the bottom of a of a picket fence. He had summer Come teeth. On the other side. Summer going this yeah. way. Summer going that way. Fre- Freddie was a middle infielder, corner infielder, some kind of a weird, flexible guy. I don't know. Maybe he hit me. Maybe the homer here, Freddie. 
He was oh he Oakland was, A's, Oakland A's, right? He was part of one of the great trades in Cup history. It's a huge three-team trade. Listen to the stars in this one. The Orioles sent John Reinecker to the Rangers. The Rangers sent Juan Dominguez to the A's. The Cubs sent John Caranca and cash to the Rangers and got Freddie Bynum. I remember John Caranca. Andy, do you remember John Caranca? Pretty much, pretty sure he made his major league debut with a victory in Dodger Stadium at some point. Maybe not his debut. Pretty sure it was a complete game or something like that you would not have expected. Well, let's look. In two, the but year those, before, 2005, John Caranca. Oh, I hit the wrong button. What's it? What's well, his game log? But those other two guys, um, I got nothing. But John Caranca, that rung a bell, and it took me directly to uh, Chavez Ravine. The I prospect know that John Car- back in 05 had high hopes. Uh, here you go. John Caranca, you were so close. It was in Dodger Stadium. It was his major league debut. He got to start. Against the against the as you play, he, 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 he gave up eighteen runs in the first inning. No, he gave he only gave up three runs. He walked three, struck out four, gave up a homer, and he only pitched five innings. But he didn't get the win. Oh, not not quite close. a shot. So he got a win. So no, he didn't do a Sean Bosky level Jeff, Jeff Pico. Pico. No, yeah, not, he fell far short of Jeff Pico. Okay, all right, he just got a win. Well, who no did Ryan the Cubs see? The Cubs then traded Freddie Bynum because he was so in demand to, to the Orioles. Damn it! Oh. All right. This is Patterson? No, they got Kevin Hart. Oh. Who would go on to become one of the biggest comedians. Correct. Oh, no, that's a different different Kevin Hart. No, this is the Kevin Hart whom our friend Andrew Peck was such a believer in that he said that Kevin Hart will make us all drink the blood of the non-believers. And uh, he did for a week. Kevin Hart was then part of a huge trade. The Cubs going for it in July of 09. They were still hanging in. They were either right around first place. The Milton Bradley Cubs. And he was traded with the great Ascan, Jose Ascanio, and yep. future uh, two-time All-Star and current second baseman for the Chicago White Sox, Josh Harrison. And he was traded for oh. the handsome Tom Gorzolani and left-handed reliever John Grapow. John Grapow. Yeah. Wow. That's the John. That's the Josh Harrison was a Cubs prospect years ago, like the Josh Donaldson-like. Yeah. Or, yeah. That, but that involved was that um, Freddie Bynum piano keys. All right. So now the Cubs had that void at shortstop, and they filled it when uh, Scott Boris pulled off a trade to uh, sent Greg sent his client Greg Maddox to the Dodgers uh, for Cesar Estrus, a former Gold Glove winner for the Dodgers, legitimately great defensive shortstop. Uh huh. Couldn't hit for shit. Um, most, he had won the Gold favorite. Glove. How about this? He had won the Gold Glove in 04. He was an All-Star in 05. And by 06, he's a Cub. And most famously known as a Cub for what? Uh, massaging Aramis Ramirez's <laughs> testicles after a home run. It's one of the weirdest. Well, after, that- like, after one of the, like, the most memorable home runs of, yes. of Aramis Ramirez's career, of Len Casper's calls, one of his best calls, yeah. the truly exciting win and punctuated by Gold Glover. <laughs> Cesar Asturias. <laughs> you could literally hear him snapping, snapping the gold glove on his hand before he went like, for the old prostate like exam. Emmett Walsh and Fletch. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you use the whole fist there, Caesar. Let's see. So. What, well, this is great. It's fun to, to not only find out who the Cubs traded for, but then to see who they traded them for later. Uh, oh, they. Oh, is this legal? They sold him to the Pirates in, 2000, in July of 2007. Just sold. I think you could sell. Wow. 
How about that? Cesar Estrada's number one most similar batter for his career is a former Cub shortstop. Don Kessinger? Avon de Jesus. Oh, all right. That tracks. Of course, we talked about the great Hank White and his great season. Uh, one of, uh, well, let's see, is this the major league debut of scrappy young catcher? No, he played one game in 05. That's weird. We bring that for one game. Uh, 2006, Giovanni Soto got in 11 games for the Cubs. No kidding. Okay. And he would play in 18 at the end of the 07 season, make such an impression on Lou that he was he was on the playoff roster. He, he was a starter. He hit the big homer uh, in game two that, that uh, Ted Lilly gave back. Then he was rookie of the year in 08. And yeah. he had a, he was terrible in 09. He was okay in and 10. Then, and then high as hell for a few years. And, and he went to, yeah, the, I think we went realized, to the Rangers and started smoking all the dope. I think we realized Soda had a better Cub career than we had remembered. Because, again, we're reaching that period now, like after 03 and then 07, 08, where I'm kind of dancing in and out. I'm not as fluid, but I was surprised to see it. Soda would actually rank as one of the top five. He would one of the top five catchers of our lifetime. He played that long. Not that good, but. Another another scrappy infielder. He, he had a great baseball name, but he was not a great baseball player. Like, Who's if that? this guy had played for the Cubs in the 50s, he, of course, would be a legend. Do you remember Buck Coates? Vaguely. Kind of a 4A. Buck played in 18 games to the 06 Cubs. He hit a homer. And that's oh. about it. Good for Buck. He they got traded then to uh, the Reds for the great Marcus Mateo. Not Juan Mateo, who was a 2006 Cub. Marcus Mateo. Cubs were trying to hoard all the Mateos. It's foolproof. Uh, Michael Restovich played 10 games, and then uh, the other, Jose Reyes, the catcher. A little, little rounder yeah. than the all-star shortstop. It's a, it's amazing that they lost 96 games. Yeah, there's a lot of talent on this team. Pitching staff, especially. Uh, Sean Marshall made 24 starts. Now, I don't know if people even know, but Cub fans today only only know him as the exciting, uh, controversial, or say anything, uh, post-game analyst on Marquee. But yes. I don't know if people know Electric. Sean Marshall actually pitched for the Cubs. So let's share this quick, quick anecdote. I was also at this game. Might have been the... Uh... I think it was the Michael Barrett game. Was this I the one where he hit the sh- ball off the wall and got thrown out by 30 feet going to second base because he was too lazy to sprint? Uh, I don't think it was that, but how can you get on a pitcher for that? I was thinking it was the same game in which uh, Michael Barrett uh, hit the eighth inning grand slam off of J.C. early. I think Sean Marshall started the season uh, in the Cubs rotation, and sure enough, his major league debut was April 9th. And in that game, this is the game that he was losing when he left, and Barrett would hit the grand slam off of Barrett. And so for a brief period of time, we're going to the playoffs. But what stands out about in his debut, they made a big deal out of the fact that Sean Marshall was taken out of the game. I got to see how he pitched because it felt like he was effective. You know, he was nervous. He's pitching against, you know, uh, the Cardinals. And then he comes out of the game, and everyone made a big deal deal out of the fact that he went to the bench, uh, the dugout, and he sat directly next to Greg Maddox. Oh, look at that guy. He knows where he's going. He's going, which, you know, I think there's a little bit of truth to that, to be honest with you, but, uh, you know, far be it from the media to be the dead horse. They made a lot out of it, but that's a, that's a fact. Glad I recorded that for posterity, that Sean 
Sean Marshall's debut. He didn't even go five innings. So it's like a 2020 era start. And he gave up four runs. He was even that good. But he sat next to Greg Maddox because he wanted to get better. So Sean Marshall in the first half of the season for the Cubs made 17 starts. He was 5-7 and seven with a 4.80. And then at the All-Star break, he made some key adjustments. Probably got into the 2006 version of the Cubs Pitch Lab, which I would guess was a Polaroid camera on a stick. Time machine. And yes, right. With some with some incredible adjustments made by 2006 Cub pitching coach Larry Rothschild. Larry Rothschild. Sean Marshall in the second half was one and two and seven starts with a 7.88 ER. Oh, Ooh, much better, oh, much better. Good. Yeah. Well. Sean turned into a very useful left-handed reliever and was then yes. traded for another for... useful left-handed reliever, World Series hero Travis Wood. Right. So, so Sean Marshall is a one Kevin Bacon away from the Cubs uh, World Series team. He was. You know, Travis Wood's a part of that team, and he was traded for Sean Marshall. And Marshall got a payday. He he actually may have made an all-star team. Is that possible? As like a reliever, he was uh, never a closer, but for I, I think he got paid at one point. I think he actually had some real value. I think the Cubs traded him high, so for once. But again, that's Theo. He did. Like big he, his his last four years with the Reds, which I would guess is one contract. Um. He made 3.1, 4.5, 5.5, and $6.5 million. And yet the, the guy still has to. Do you remember the other two team. players that the Cubs got for him other than Travis Wood? Um, one of them would not have been Josh Hamilton, right? No. I'm thinking Cubs Reds. No, that was the trade. other way. That went the other way. Right. No, the two no. players the Cubs got. Not the, It was Sean Marshall for three oh. guys. He was so good. Took three Travis guys. Wood, and there's no way I'm going to know these two guys, right? Would I? Uh, uh, a Nick Madrigal-sized second baseman who played briefly for the Cubs a couple of times, played for the Yankees. Ronald Torres, do you remember him? Nope. nope and then the great outfielder Dave Sepelt. I remember Dave Sepelt. I remember Black Dave Sepelt. I didn't remember, I didn't remember Ronald Torres. I mean, I remember okay. Ronald Torres. I didn't remember he was in the trade. I don't remember Ronald Torres. Uh, 26-year-old Rich Hill. <laughs> he was, he was 26 years old in 2006? <laughs> yeah, well, he he didn't break into the big leagues until he was 25, yeah. Late in 05, I assume. Yep. Yeah, he was a regular guy in the rotation and actually put it together in 07 to where he was the game three starter in the playoffs. So we actually not only had an early Rich Hill, but a little bit of a successful Rich Hill. Rich made yeah. 16 starts for those Cubs. And another starting pitcher. A <laughs> uh, guy made 13 starts. He's one of the Cubs' all-time save leaders. Brian, no. Wait, nope. what? All-time Cubs saves. All-time Cubs save. 23 years old in 2006. He was five and seven with a four seven or the six oh eight ERA. Uh, he struck out. Uh, he, oh, this should, here, this should let you know. In 77 innings, he struck out 59 and he walked 59. Wow. Why can't I? I'm thrown by this whole all-time Cubs saves leader. Subsequent to this, so he, he debuts. Had, didn't we figure out last week that he had like? The third, we had this, the third highest save season in Cub history. Carlos Marmol. Oh shit! That's right. Because you broke it in the starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I made a reference to the fact that when all was lost, we started seeing guys come up like uh, Carlos Marmol and uh, Juan Mateo, and but I wasn't sure if that was 05 or 06. Oh yeah, right. Good old Carlos. Yeah, Marmol had 
Well, 38 saves was the most he ever had. But he had inter- he had nah, he four really years span. He had 15, 38, 34, and 20. So he had for a brief period. He had 117 saves for the Cubs. I guess that is really one of the all-time. That's years. really good. No, I so that was probably Ryan Dempster, though. Fuck. But Ryan Dempster won 50 games and had more than 50 saves, which is really exciting for Crane all the time. It's such a low bar. Uh, Bob Howry and uh, Scotty Stevie Air were both on the team. God, I hated Air. I liked Howry though. Howry yeah, was good. Was, like Bob. was this the year Bob got attacked on the mound? I don't think so. I think that was later. That was 07. We talked about that. that was the Troy Tula Whiskey Rookie of the Year oh, game right. time homer in the ninth. Yeah. One of my favorite all time Cubs. Uh, one of the smartest men in baseball history. And you can tell it just by looking at him. Who I once joked that uh, the Cubs are in good shape in this game as long as the tiebreaker isn't Roberto Navoa competing in a spelling bee. Ah. Uh. That, was, that guy was as blank a face as you will ever see. Traded traded for Kyle Farnsworth uh, when we finally had gotten frustrated of Farnsworth's up and down. Same we, guy. They traded. We, they traded right. white Kyle for black Kyle. That's with with a straight, straight as a line fastball. Like, like had all the makeup, had all like the scout face. And, uh, Apex named him Big Spot Bob, and then just as quickly well, had to rename him okay, Brown Spot Bob. Because we were talking about. Which more were we just talking about? Uh, Scott Moore, the third baseman. I got traded the Orioles for Jerry Harrison, I think. Yeah, Scott oh. Moore. Okay, so uh, different Scott Moore, the guy you were thinking of. The Cubs had two Scott Moores. The year before, oh. the trade was – oh, I just lost it. It was – Yeah, because, oh, I feel validated. It was – Scott Moore, I was thinking it was a third baseman. Yes. In it case was, where Mary got hurt. It was Roberto Novoa and Bo Flowers. No, it was this Scott Moore. They got him from the Tigers. That's what it was. Not that, two Scott that's Moore's. true. I was, I was confused with the Tigers. They okay. got him from the Tigers. I was thinking, that's... holy shit. All right. So, Roberto okay. Novoa, Bo right. Flowers, Scott Moore for Kyle Farnsworth. They got three guys for Kyle Farnsworth. Three guys for Sean Marshall. Three guys for Kyle Farnsworth. Wow. It's a Larry Himes principle in full effect. But who was the other Moore? Do you remember the other guy? That was like a spring training star, and everybody thought more. I thought there was another more. Was it? It was. This was an older guy. He was super tan. You sure, it's not that. Scott McLean. That was it, Scott McLean. Really? Yep. No, I That's just pulled it out of my He was a Cactus of. League MVP. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Everybody called him Die Hard. That was so hilarious, clever. That's right. That's right. I can't believe I pulled that one out of my ass. You weren't even. Like, I mean, they both start with M. Scott McLean actually fucking played 20 years, 1998 to 2008. No, no. He did. No, that's not 20. It's only 10 years. But actually, there's not, all right, this is pretty funny. Scott McLean debuts with Tampa Bay in 1998. You were off by one year. After a seven-year absence, he plays for the Cubs in 2005. There we go. And then after a two-year absence, he plays for the Giants in 07 and 08. So for, his career stretches from 98 to 08, but he only played 44 games. He was Jake Fox before Jake Fox. I think even Jake Fox was slightly more of a legit prospect. I mean, Scott McClain was fucking 33 years old yeah. in, in 2005 with the Cubs. <laughs> I mean, he was 26 years old when he finally gets a cup of coffee with that expansion Devil Rays in 1998, 26 years old, plays in nine games, disappears for seven years, comes back as a 33-year-old because of his hot spring training, Cactus League, plays in 13 games. And then he sits out two more years. He plays eight. He plays 14. He's just dying to stick. He played 44 games 
in a career that spans from 1998 to 2008. I find that pretty interesting. Ten-year career. It's four games a year. 2006 would be the uh, second year after a two-year absence for Will Ullman. Will had pitched in 2000-2001 for the Cubs, missed 2002 and 2003 because of injuries. Came back in 05 for the one decent year he had with the Cubs, uh, where he had a 291 ERA in 69 games. In 06, he was the Will Oman that we all remember, throwing the 52-foot curveballs. Right. Uh, 78 games, 413 ERA. I brought him up last week to Mark Gonzalez, and Mark very nearly uh, passed out from... I heard that. It was the God, don't bring that up. I don't want to remember that. Hated equally by uh, former Cubs red-ass pitching coach Oscar Acosta and former Cubs manager Lou Pinella. They yes. both hated. And wow. hated by sports writers and fans. He well, hated. And he Good. would hang around after he left the Cubs, and he pitched for the Dodgers, the Braves in 08, the Dodgers in 09, um, Baltimore, Florida, coach. and he's finished up two years with the White Sox. Yeah, they fucking, I remember they he pitched for the Sox. It. Everybody has a plan for the White Sox. 2006 would be the uh, the final year as a Cub for Glendon Rush. This was the year he almost died in the weight room. I remember that. Sure. Kind of a, kind of a Mike Ditka kind of, I don't remember, he had some kind of seizure or something. <laughs> and what I remember about it was uh, he, he came back the next year with the Rockies for opening day, I believe. Maybe it was the Padres. Yeah, with the Rockies. And, opening and, day. And, and he was standing ever. next to Jason Marquis during the intros, and he got booed. And I was like, this is me. It was like residual boos from Marquis. And they got, Why on, would the they got under fans... Rush. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Who booed? They, they booed him at Coors Field or Wrigley? No, at Wrigley. Oh. Like, they were standing next to each other. Why I'm, like, I'm like, hey, Glendon almost died. Uh, in this park, you give him, he should get a halfway decent round of applause, but fans were still too excited for booing Jason that they didn't stop for Glendon. But I'm sorry. What am I missing here? Why were they booing Jason? They didn't like him. All right. Wasn't it? He had just I left, right? Fine. Jason Marquis. Yeah. Yeah. But he sucked. That's why they were the booing him. Mostly. He, he was doing him a fit. Oh, okay. All right. We're like boys, Greg Maddox on opening day because he left the butt hurt. Well, I had to be 09. They booed him because he booed Glendon and poor Jason. I distinctly remember they were booing Jason Marquis. He would, that's a good, yeah, that's a good memory because that's he the He was back in town with the Rockies for opening day. And then I remember poor Glendon got booed. Yeah. I guess he'd been, uh, okay. maybe, well, he'd pitched for the Padres the year before, but I don't know if he came back to Wrigley. It might have been his first game back to Wrigley. I just remember thinking it was very yeah, unfair to poor Glendon. Sure. I believe I saw Glendon Rush pitch in the first game at Miller Park. I pitched against... Um, they must have been playing the Reds, because I believe that in the span of one week, Sean Casey hit the first home run ever in two different parks. PNC was one of them. He grew up in Pittsburgh. And then Miller Park. Interesting. Yeah, and it's happened in 04, but I know that I was at a game. My brother happened to be at the game, and he said it was the best seat he'd ever sat in, like four rows behind the Cubs dugout, and he was heckling Jim Edmonds every time Edmonds was on the on-deck circle. He said that Edmonds even gave him a look like, 
if you wouldn't sue me, I would beat the shit out of you right now. Just riding him. Because in that game, Glendon Ross struck Jim Edmonds out three times. And so every time Edmonds has to go back to the dugout, my brother, who's like privileged to be sitting in these seats, is just standing up kind of like this. And then sure enough, the next day in the newspaper, we saw a black and white photo of a photographer showing Edmonds walking back to the dugout. My brother's the only guy standing up, kind of giving him the fist. So my brother made sure to get that one framed and hung in his basement. But yeah, Glendon Rush was the guy that struck out Edmonds three times Good. to make it all possible. Uh, here's another guy that we talked that I talked about on the podcast with. Uh, actually, Mark brought him up last week. Uh, he compared. We were talking about uh, Cubs prospect Braylon Marquez. Do you remember who he compared Braylon Marquez to? I heard you guys bring up Marquez, and now I forget who uh, Gonzo. He compared him to because Braylon has been this like everybody's supposed to be excited about this guy for a long time, and now injuries have got him, and he's not pitching. He's not pitching. Yeah, he's not pitching. Yeah, yeah, I know. So this this longtime Cub prospect finally made his big league debut in 2006. It was Angel Guzman. Who that was, was his unde- debut undeniably, Yes, he finally made it in the big leagues in 2006. He was undeniably talented, but his arm would always betray him. And he went 0-6 with a 739 ERA. Uh, he was actually, he was good in 07. He was a uh, he had a he nice stretch in the bullpen, yep. uh, but his arm fell off. And then in 09, he had his only sustained success for the Cubs in the bullpen, 55 games, 295 ERA, and he never pitched again after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had our hopes up for Angel. Steve Stone loved Angel Guzman. I figure that Stone what? left in 04, and he'd been talking to him up yeah. like 02 and 03, and he didn't make the biggies until 06 because of all the injury. But he was, yeah, he was on our radar in 04 for sure. Not just Stoney's. Uh, the aforementioned David Ardsma. 45 okay. games. Won three of them out of the bullpen. 408 ERA. Juan Mateo. One for three. 532 ERA. Big Juans. The sad end of Mark Pryor. Yep. Nine starts. One and six. 721 ERA. 38 strikeouts and 28 walks in 43 innings. He did not have the colorful personality of Mark Fidrich, but I I always come back to that being the comp. I know there are different circumstances, but it's like takes the league by storm. Pryor's run was a little bit longer, but it it really was just a couple years. Mark Pryor finished his Cub career 42 and 29 with a, a 351 career ERA. Struck out 757 men in 657 innings, walked 223. And he really. Those rates. He really. The rate stats are incredible. He did it. Most of that is built out of the second year. He was good as a rookie, 6 and 6 to 332 RA. Then 18 and 6. And then his stats are good in 05, but he was already a shell of himself. 11 and 7 with a 367 RA. We never. Yeah. And that Tigers game every year out of him ever. And it was great. Pretty much. Uh, that one, uh, what I thought was his last game was actually his first game of the 06 season when he got his shit rocked against the Tigers. And uh, But he only made, yeah, you already pointed it out, nine nine appearances. I remember year. the one. Started them all. And I know what, I'm going to look quick. I remember one in the in the, in Minute Maid Park. Where oh, I was, see it now. Where it was. Six inning. Well, he, he didn't pitch bad. Now, if it was 06, he actually was one of his last decent performances. Yeah. Is that the one, though? I think 
the Cubs were winning and he gave up. Was this the one with the grand slam? Uh, uh, against uh, Mike Lamb? No, I don't think it I is. It must have been another a previous year. He had one game. It was, a, it was just the balls were rocketing all over, and then somebody hit a grand slam, and Dusty finally went and got him. It's like it's about fucking yeah. time, Dustbag. That, must have, that, might, that was a, that was a previous. Well, let's see. Did he make another? Yeah, because he only, not, he only not, started against not, them once that year, so it wasn't that game. Not in Minute Maid. He didn't make that many starts. It was it, what a weird set end. It was like like his last start was August tenth up in Milwaukee. In 2006, five years earlier, he'd only been signed by the Cubs. And, like, think of the whole trajectory that he would have in those five years. He'd go to the heights of practically pitching this star-crossed franchise to a, to well, a long-lost pennant and then never never threw a pitch again after August 10th, 2006. That's his final start. But this is a tough Brewer lineup to navigate. Brady Clark was oh. in center field. Then Jess Sorello and Prince Fielder. Kevin Mench with his size 12 head. Gabe yeah. Gross, Tony Graffinino was the shortstop, David Bell the third baseman, Mike Rivera was the catcher. How are you supposed to get those guys out? I mean, that's just tough luck. Good point. Brady Clark. Jesus. Well, we can talk more prior since 2004 still yeah. sitting out there. We will. Uh, Mike Wirtz had a good year. 266 ERA, 41 yeah. games. He, he, was effective. he, he only had the one team. pitch that worked. It was a slider. And when teams stopped swinging at it, that was pretty much the end of Mike Wirtz, but he was good there for a while. The aforementioned Scott Williamson. Was this his, was it was this it for Scott? Uh, well, he won that one game that we that we referenced. No. He got uh he latched on with the Padres for the rest of the year and then finished up um in Baltimore. Everybody went to Baltimore. That's not a good sign for Baltimore. It's true. Jerry Harrison, Corey Patterson, Sammy Sosa. He was. Oh, the Cubs traded him. Huge trade for Fabian Jimenez Angulo and Joel Santo, Ron's kid. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe not. I think so. He made the movie. Should have been. This whole time. Yeah, this whole time was right. He had the video camera and he was. That's right. Wade Miller, Kerry Wood. Oh, remember Les Walrond? Good old. Yeah, black guy, right? Yeah. They've had two guys, Dave Sapel is the other, two guys. Two, two, two guys who you simply ex- Reggie, described as right. black guy? That's good. Reggie Cleveland, reverse Reggie Cleveland All-Stars, where they had, those are very white names, I feel like. Less, they may come less, uh, maybe not, less water. But yeah, I do remember, that's 17 innings. Uh, you talked about uh, Jake, Jay Cook-Rue. I did. And then Jerome Williams. From Hawaii. Pitched in uh, five games for the Cubs that year. And then a guy that we need to talk about. Uh, he's famous. He only pitched in two games ever for the Cubs. Uh, but people oh of a certain God. age remember who he is. And you know what? An emergency start in the Minute Maid Park, right? Yes. Yeah, and here I am talking about John Karanka's replicating a Sean Bosque or Jeff Pico from the year before when he only went five innings. Clearly I was thinking of Ryan O'Malley who had a similar, that was a debut, right? Yes. His major league debut. He only pitched in two games ever. August 16th. He made they had to drive from Des Moines or some shit to get, to get to Houston. Was it round rock? To, that's right. I think you're right. He was a, the Cubs. Somebody crapped out and they needed a starter. Yeah, and they tabbed Ryan O'Malley, and he pitched against um, 
the defending National at, League champions, the Houston Astros, good team. and the lineup that had Lance Parkman in their home park. And uh, it yep. looks like um, uh, Jeff Bagwell took Beige the day off. But Beige, well, Beige didn't start either. He pinch hit. Uh, the lineup might have been a little easier. Okay. Mitigating circumstances but, here. But still, Ryan O'Malley, eight innings, five hits. Two strikeouts, uh, six <clears throat> six walks. Wow! But he didn't give up an wow. run. Didn't give up a run at all. Flashing the leather behind him, and uh, he outdueled Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit not went to, pitched nine innings, complete game, complete four hits, game. one run. But he was no match for Ryan O'Malley in a one nothing Cub win. Bobby Howard he got the save, and that wow. propelled the Cubs right back into the pennant race. At uh, nope, fifty two and sixty eight. Hey, the Astros were bad. 57 to 63. Is that one of the years that wow. Bagwell caught a fastball with the back of his hand? Maybe not. Could have been. Yeah, I, I want to say that was a day game, too. A rare day game in Houston. On it was a Wednesday. Day. It was a getaway day. Yeah, getaway day. 106 start in Houston on a Wednesday. Uh, 38,989 showed up. Mostly Ryan O'Malley fans, I think. It was a late arriving crowd yep. as he got there. So then, I mean, Ryan said, hey, we got we got something here. And he made another start on August 22nd against the Phillies. And he went four and two-thirds, gave up three runs. And then he never pitched the big leagues again. Did he pull a Dave Dravacki? It's just strange. His arm fell off. He, I think maybe he did get hurt in that game. I think he did. He had to have. And then just never got a chance again. Um, God, the rest of that season's a blur. I mean, it was just such a depressing uh, you know, I, and I guess, too, the reason I, I'm not remembering anything after July. I remember O'Malley's game. I don't remember what else I could I just remember what, like the T-shirt says, by the way, you can get your Discipio merchandise at the uh, at the store, but I'm wearing the, I just want this to be over, Wilson Couture's quote, totally applicable in 2006. I wanted it all to be over. I think I was still writing then. I was doing some screeds, the case against Andy McPhail, get rid of Fitzsimmons. It was just, it was just you know, done with this. And you mentioned the other Dennis thing. Fitzsimmons like 15 times this podcast. I'm telling you, I man. I barely remember he, that asshole. Well, he was the he was the, the the suit and tie that was in charge of that ultimately made the decisions like after Stanton Cook and yeah. Andy McKenna before him. He was the last. He was the last of the of the mediocrity by design managers is really what it was. And we got our wish. We got our wish. The other thing, though, is that it was easier to peel off of the Cubs because in 2006, the bears had a rare window where they were good. So as soon as the, the football season kicked off, I, I don't think I watched any Cubs baseball the month of September that year, except when Andy McPhail got fired and Simmons got ran out at the end of the season, I had hope and the hope was rewarded because they did bring in a bit of a new regime and they started spending money again. All so right. Do you want to, do you want to hear the story of Ryan O'Malley? What is the story of Ryan O'Malley? So he uh, he was good friends with Rich Hill, pitching in the minor leagues for the Cubs. But an, a call-up to the big leagues for Ryan O'Malley was extremely unlikely, except on a Tuesday night in Houston, the Cubs and Astros went 18 innings. And Dusty had to have Rich Hill pitch the final two innings of the game. That meant the Cubs needed an emergency starter, and because you were right, because the Iowa Cubs were in round rock, and it was Ryan O'Malley's turn. Wow. Um, actually, he was, this is even better. Ryan O'Malley was supposed to start on Tuesday. 
but the Cubs sent Wade Miller there for a rehab start and pushed O'Malley back, which meant he was then available. So the 26-year-old hopped in a limo. Oh, the Cubs spared no expense. Uh, and try, tried to catch a few minutes of sleep in the back seat on a ride from Round Rock to Houston. Uh, he, did, he had no idea until he got to the park that he was going to be matched up against Andy Pettit. Jesus. Uh, O'Malley was uh, oddly like... a bit wild that Wednesday, but he was just effective enough. He credits Michael Barrett, a catcher with whom he'd never worked for helping him through it. Nibbling the corners and not giving it to Astros hitters, O'Malley finessed his way to eight shutout innings. I guess we know why so many of the Astros got the day off, considering their record was shit and they played 18 innings the night before. Yeah, for sure. Um, Interesting. So, wow. then he made his next start. O'Malley pitched well enough against the Phillies, allowing just one walk, giving up three runs in four and two-thirds. But in the fifth, he felt a twinge in his left elbow. I didn't feel anything until there was a ball that had a scuff, and I lobbed it back to the great Henry Blanco. At that point, I was like, oh, my God, what's that in my elbow? I never felt that before. And he said, no way am I coming out of this game. It's my Wrigley Field debut. The last pit, The next pitch he threw would be his last. Blanco Very immediately knew something was wrong, and at that point, O'Malley had no say in the matter. He was pulled from the game, wound up on the disabled list, uh, and, and never his left arm fell off. Yep, he did. He caught he caught David Rebecca disease. His left arm fell off, and he's now a former lefty. So that's why we, that that's, like that's why we go through the tortured exercise at the end of these, where I go down every player in the roster because we would have forgotten. He was the last guy listed on this roster. We would have forgotten Ryan O'Malley. It, it provides some much-needed backstory. I think most Cub fans of most ages remember that game that we talked about. And I think for most of us, in the in the fog of our memory, that there is that, that sort of anecdote that you pulled out. So, yeah, absolutely. We, we, we breathed life into uh, into it again. So, But now, before Happy we go, to, I want to look at the game before that. A wild eighteen-inning affair. I wonder how many saves uh, the Cubs blew. I bet you at least two. Uh, they had a two-nothing lead after two. It was tied in the fourth. Then they took a five-to-two lead. But then the Astros went up six-five in the sixth. The Cubs tied it in yep. the ninth. Who was the clutch player here? This is going to be exciting. In the ninth. Matt Merton hit a homer off Brad Lidge. Whoa. Probably just like Whoa. the Albert Pujols one. It's just a shocking. And then wow. uh, nobody scored. Well, Lidge still. was still supposedly dealing with the post-Pujols trauma, although he would come back to win the World Series of Philadelphia. Yes. Some of that's bullshit. Nobody scored until the 18th? Nope. Yeah, I see that. How about that? Man, pitchers just throwing blanks. Our guy, Angel Guzman, threw three innings. Dempster threw three innings. Phil Garner had to throw the great Dave Borkowski out there and just let him ride. Borkowski pitched. Jesus. Oh, my God. He pitched the six innings. Thir- he came in on the 13th, and he pitched six innings. <laughs> wow. Jesus. So a little pooch in his final innings. inning. And yeah. Matt Merton got him again. Aramis singled. Aramis doubled. Okay. Jock singled. Didn't score Aramis. Um, 
Mabry fouled out. Ronnie Cedeno grounded out. They intentionally walked Michael Barrett to load the bases, and Merton made him pay. The base hit scored two. And then uh, Rich Hill was still in the game, and he went one, two, three in the ninth. He got a save. No, he got nice. the win. He got well, the win because he was already he got the win. He got the win. He was it for himself. Yeah, and also game in which Roger Clemens started. So there you go, another Hall of Famer. So they beat, okay. yeah. So they beat uh, Roger Clemens and Andy Clemens and Pettit. Right, uh, the Cubs. And they came into the series forty nine and sixty eight. They were, they were not good. Did it, look, changes were on the way? Lord, everybody played. Uh, Carlos Zambrano got to pinch hits. Carlos Marmol got to pinch hit. <laughs> oh. That was beautiful. Although I didn't wasn't Marmol a converted catcher? I think maybe he was. That's a good call. I forgot about that. You're right. Let's see. Pitching for the Cubs. Oh, so on back to back days, one the Cubs won a game against Roger Clemens started by Juan Mateo and Andy Pettit started by Ryan O'Malley. The plan works. Mateo Omen, Wirtz, Ardsma, Air, Howry, Novoa. Guzman, Dempster, and Hill. <laughs> Jesus. Six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. ten pitchers. The stupid sporting news thing said six. They were off by four. Ten pitchers. This is a lost uh, franchise. Well, there you have it, the 06 Cubs. Woo. Yeah, enjoy it, kids. Hope we... Uh, hope we... Gave it, gave it whatever justice it deserved. Thank God Dusty won that uh, game where he got to use 10 guys in August when they were 30 games out of first. Out of boy, yeah. Dust. Yeah, and Dusty did not get fired. His contract simply expired at the end of the season. That's right. Dusty's never been fired. That's but true. He, but he's had his contract not renewed several times by the Giants, by the Cubs, by the Reds, by the Nationals. But never been fired. It's, it's quite a quite a run. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy. Many of us have herpes. I just want this to be over. 